Why are you laughing? <laughs> Talking into a microphone makes it you does. nervous after it, it, all it, these years. It actually does. Yes, I'm I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous okay. about episode 221 because area code 221 is not in use. There's no guessing. Really? There's no game to be played. There's no stump the band to start. I'm very nervous about episode 221. Not to mention it's the COVID edition. My second oh, go around. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. God. Second, and for a guy who hides all the time, God. good Lord, you leave the house a couple times and you get it. The worst thing is I've been sick for like a month with that other respiratory thing. And I was just getting yeah. over that when I started feeling crappy again. And now, boom, I had to get tested because I wanted to go to a New Year's. Well, I didn't really want to go to a New Year's party. My wife <laughs> wanted to go to a New Year's party. <laughs> hey, I went to one of those. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to ask you about that. <laughs> and one of the hosts of the New Year's party has had recent surgery. So they asked all of the guests to take a COVID test. Oh, yeah. Oh. So I decided to take a COVID test and I wasn't feeling great anyway on New Year's Eve. And boom, good news and bad news. Yeah. Bad news is COVID positive. Good news is can't go to the party. <laughs> Now, let's say you you could choose one or the other. Uh, COVID positive, I, no, no party. No. COVID negative and the party. What no, are you choosing? No, 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 no. Let's put some time on the No, 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 no. Minutes. Because I have a I have a trip to my mom's this week that's now oh, in jeopardy. Christ Everything man. is up in the air now. Except right. for episode and I don't have your smiling face. I gave you the the option. Do you want to come over to the COVID house or do you want to do it from your house? And you chose, I think I'll pass. I think I'll stay here. <laughs> well, now that we're talking about me working from home, give me one second here. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. May as well. I mean, why not? I mean, oh, good Lord, geez. I'm home. I got nowhere to go. The wife and kid, they're out of the house till tomorrow. Really? Where are they? We're partying, dude. Come on over. Oh, wait, no, not you, but have someone else come on over. <laughs> well, um, I'd prefer not to come for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to come. And number two, I'm COVID positive. <laughs> Well, we uh, we went to some friend of ours. They have a house in a place called Tumble Creek. Oh yeah, it's it's in like Cleelum ish. Suncadia. That's a big uh, that's a big golf course community, isn't it? Tumble it is Creek a Golf, golf Club. Community. Yes, Suncadia. In fact, my I had to leave early because I had to do this cockamamie thing. Um, but before I left, they were all going to some sort of golf simulator thing out there that yeah, they have. Yeah, sure. I, big, it's all golf all the time out sure. there with, with these guys. So, sure. Yeah. Ask, yeah, me, we, we, ask yeah. me for my opinion. Ask me for my review of the Tumble Creek Golf Club. Ask oh, me. I, 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 of the club or the course? The or course. All of or it. both. Ask me whatever you'd like. What do you think about it? Never been there, so I have no idea. I'd have to leave my house to go there. <laughs> That's true. I tested COVID positive that day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. So we, we got invited over at like 4.30, and I was sitting on the couch. The football playoffs were awesome. The Georgia game's about sure, to kick off, and sure. now I'm staring down the barrel of getting up, showering, packing a little thing. You got to drive over the pass, which we were making new tracks and snow, of course, over the pass with my wife's tires aren't great. And it's like, oh, are we really doing this? But I'm glad I went. It was a good time once I got there. So so what happened? You came back and you left them there? Exactly like that. They're off uh, as we speak when this comes out on Monday. They have yes. Monday off oh. from school. So, yeah, I, I was like, I, I have to go. I got to record. And they're like, well, I think we're going to stay. I was like, all right, I'll take the dog. See ya. Any Ryan Seacrest in your New Year's Eve or no? Uh, we had one on. I don't know if it was the Ryan Seacrest one. Why? I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering about Ryan Seacrest. who has got a nice career going for himself. <laughs> Just now you're noticing that he's well, like the most hireable human on ever who well, probably has a billion dollars in his pocket. Well, I mean, he's got to be making a hundred million dollars a year, doesn't he? Oh, more. Sure. I mean, more? I think he's he he started the keeping up with the Kardashian show. 
Like that that was his baby. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's the producer? I don't know. I think I think he created it. Like it was his idea. So he's making the money off that show. It's not on any well, I think it moved to another network, but and then he he does like American Top Forty, like what Casey Kasem. Right. All he does all he does is take over for legends. He you know Dick Clark dies, he takes over for him. Took over Casey for Regis. <laughs> Didn't he take yeah, over exactly. for Regis? He does the Regis I, and Kathy Lee it's show. Crazy. Yeah, he, he does the he, he does American Idol. He does the radio stuff that's uh, the Casey yeah. Kasem stuff. Now he's yeah. doing the Dick Clark stuff. Yeah, he's got to be good for Cristiano Ronaldo money, like one hundred million dollars right. a year. <laughs> yeah, the eighteen forty. But he also I think he does like a, a daily show too, like wow. a daily morning show. Wow. The, the guy, he can't stop working. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, wow. it's all it all just comes from envy and jealousy. Well, the Mitch, Unf- <laughs> I'm here to tell you the Mitch Unfiltered holiday discount is now officially over. Now that it's 2023, I've got a shitload of emails to return. I'm going to try to return them all this week (laughs) if I can get to it. I didn't accomplish exactly what I had set out to do. Yeah. A lot of new patrons to expose them to all the great content that we do during the week. But you live and learn. Next year, I'm telling you right now, only Uh new subscribers (laughs) get the deal next year. Sounds good. (laughs) I'll give you the update. I'm home from Los Angeles. It was a week ago that we did this cockamamie podcast with me in Hollywood, California. I gave you the whole sob story. I was stuck in Los Angeles. Would you like the the end? You want me to wrap that story up for you or does nobody care anymore? No, I dying to know what happened. There was a lot of flights canceled just around the whole country. So how the hell did you get out of there? Well, what happened was, as you recall, my whole family was down there with me. Our plane was canceled last minute. They asked us to stay in L.A. for four days. The rest of my family rented a car for $1,000 and came home. That cost me $1,000. By the way, you already own two cars that run perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for a car, Uh, two of which you own. uh, Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So then I was stuck there for three days, was supposed to get out on a Monday after the cockamamie recording of episode 220, That plane got canceled. Okay. I had no other choice but to buy myself a, because I couldn't get on the line. The biggest problem is you can't get on the line with anybody. It's literally, they tell you when you get on the line, the call that's holding the longest is eight hours and 19 minutes. I mean, you you have to go to sleep and try to get up the next morning and hope that you hear them come on and say Alaska Airlines. So you can't talk to anybody. That's the hardest part. So I just went ahead and I bought myself a new ticket, hoping that they would refund that and at least make it the second part of my my travel from Los Angeles, which ultimately they did. Went to Los Angeles International Airport, had everybody at there at the front desk say, oh, you're entitled to a lot more than you've gotten. You're entitled to some reimbursement on the rental car. You're entitled to some reimbursement on the hotel. You're entitled to some reimbursement on the food. Hmm. Alaska Air, but but we can't do that here. You have to call this eight hundred number, <laughs> right? And now you're just you're just smelling errands oh my in God. whole times, and like, is it even worth it? Just forget so it. So I flew home and I called that eight hundred number. Yeah. At which time I was told that 800 number the whole time is five hours. Oh my! So gosh. I sat all day with the the phone on hold, listening to their little jingle on Alaska Airlines, only to have the Alaska Airlines representative come on and tell me that they were absolutely incorrect at Los Angeles International Airport <laughs> because it was a weather cancellation. They can do yeah. absolutely nothing for me except they did, to their credit, make that second trip that I purchased. 
somehow they made it right. They made okay, it right gotcha. so that I didn't have to pay extra. But the whole the whole experience of weather cancellations and Alaska Airlines was probably a two grand hit, yeah. two extra thousand dollars to stay in L.A. and to get rental cars uh, and all that stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I again, I want to point out, as I did on episode 220 <laughs> once or twice. I'm going to and I'm going to do it three or four times on this show, because <laughs> later in the other stuff segment, we're going to talk about a guy who couldn't get to Washington, Seattle to get a heart, a right. heart transplant. Yeah. Saw so that. so we're not going to complain here. We're going right. to just understand that other people have much bigger problems. I just thought that I'd give you the lowdown on how I got home and when I got home. Now, something else that I need to discuss before we begin the show officially, episode 221. Okay. Is my Uber re- revelation. Uh-oh. I'm very upset, Hotshot. You don't strike me as an Uber guy. I don't I, know. I, I'm an Uber. You're like an well, old school cab guy. I don't know. <laughs> no, I see, you, I see you like whistling, hailing a cab. You I'm know, very, very upset about okay. something that I learned in Los Angeles about Uber. I do not take Uber a lot, but over the okay. last, I don't know how long has Uber been around? Ten years, twelve know. years. Maybe. Yeah. I've taken about a hundred, a hundred rides. Okay. And I found out something in Los Angeles that I never knew, and I'm damn well pissed about it. <laughs> Okay. You know how you rate the drivers when you get out of the car? You Do you take Uber? Do you know how Uber works? You know how Uber works. All the time. Okay. Yep. All right. When I was working at, for that Forza job, I was doing it in Burbank all the time. Oh, so yeah. Oh, in Burbank. Yeah. That's another yeah. story for another day. I had some By the way, time. N- yes. Not a bad airport to fly into next time you go to California, I LAX. I tried. Okay. John I Wayne. I tried. All of All right. All right. Do all they right, still call alone. it John Wayne since he's I don't know. I'm become a contemptible <laughs> human being? Um <laughs> So, you know, when you rate the driver after you get out of the car, it asks you, what do you want to give them a tip? And do you want to give them a star rating? And I'm sure you give them five. I always give five star ratings. In fact, I think I've only given one four star rating and 100 rides over 12 years. Okay. What I didn't know, which you probably do, is that they rate you also. They sure do. I am effing peeved. I can't get this out of my crawl. Because I found this out, because I found out this, I never knew this. So I decided to take a little exploration journey to find out what Mitch, the rider on Uber has been rated over the years. Uh, Why would you do that? Who needs it? Well, I did. Why do you want to know? I mean, I I would never do that. I wish I hadn't done it. (laughs) Okay. Ah. And I'm going to be very, you're going to laugh and everybody's going to laugh, but I'm going to be very, I'm going to try to be serious about this. I am rated a 4.74 on a scale from one to five. Okay. Now you might say, ah, 4.74, that's not bad. Yeah, but you're you're sure. able you're able to go and take a look at the breakdown of what you've been given. Uh-oh. I have literally been given two ones, <laughs> two twos, and two threes. Now really? Now you're just gonna have to trust me on what I'm about to say. And this is what okay. leaves me pissed. All right. I have never, ever, ever got into an Uber car or any other car for that matter, cab, and been a jerk ever. I am the picture of the, I am a sweetheart of a fellow. Uh, if they want to talk, I talk. The biggest indictment that you can make of Mitch Levy, the Uber rider, the biggest one, if you had to say, okay, there's got to be something that the biggest indictment that you could ever make of me would be that I'm quiet. Sometimes I get in the car, I say hello, and then I don't talk 
for the rest yeah. of because I maybe I'm on my phone. I'm doing. Yep. I don't eat in people's cars. I'm where I'm fucking supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> you don't tell them how to drive. I don't tell them how to. <laughs> I don't tell them how to drive. I don't get frustrated <laughs> with being late. There would be absolutely no reason on earth that anybody should ever give me a one or a two or a three. I, I am the model of an Uber rider. I should be the poster child for Uber. I'm, I'm perfect. I don't slam doors. I'm very nice to the drivers. It makes no sense to me. And I, it's been bothering me for like 10 days now, or maybe a week, that I'm sitting here with a 4.74. I brought this up on social media, and a lot of people think it's unclear whether they're right or not, that it might have something to do with the tip that maybe they rate you based on your tip. And by the way, if they do, which I don't know that they can, because some drivers have said, no, no, we can't rate you after yeah. we know the tip. It can't be all about whether the guy's a generous guy or not. Now, I exactly. don't want to portray myself to be cheap. Here's my tipping history with Uber. The, for the first five or six years, everybody told me you're not supposed to tip on Uber. Maybe if you'd like to, but it's not something that we, that is recommended. And then something happened about three or four years ago where people started saying, oh, no, no, no. You got to tip Uber drivers just like you tip everybody else. So I started making sure that I was tipping Uber drivers. I it don't know. feel like when it first started, that was kind of like one of the hooks. Right. Is that it's easy. You get in. There's no right. tipping. There's no cash. Right. I remember you that. Get too, in, but you get out. I find you myself tipping. Right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you did find yourself. I, I don't remember tipping a lot. So I don't. And then I, I don't. I can't tell you when the I got the one stars. These one stars might be from the early days of Uber. I don't know. Yeah. They, might, they might be from L.A. They don't tell you exactly who gave you the one star because I guess that's not that's not healthy. That's dangerous. Yeah. They, but they don't need psychopaths like you tracking them down on social media and yelling at them. Yes, I, I guess what I'm trying to say to you on this episode 221. <laughs> yes. Is I don't understand. I expected to see damn near five, if not 5.0. <laughs> when I heard that riders were given ratings from drivers, I said to myself, yeah. OK, I may have failed in a lot of things in my life, but this is a deadlock that I'm a five or damn close. And I got a 4.74 and I don't like it at all. I'm very upset. I, I don't, I'm afraid to look at mine. I, I, don't I want you know. to look at yours. I want you to look at yours between the T segment and segment one. I want to know. Oh God. I what wanna. you? I want to know. It's very easy to look. By the way, nobody has had a lower rating. than I have the lowest rating of anybody that I even know, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I can't understand what I've done wrong. I want to know what I've done wrong. I haven't been extra chatty. I haven't insulted anybody. As I said, I don't slam doors. I'm where they, I'm supposed to be on pickup. Yeah. I, I say, hello, how's your day? I say, thank you when I get out. I can't, for the life of me, understand how I didn't get fives across the effing board. <laughs> This is gonna piss me off too when this I check mine. This is pissing me off. I feel like I'm nice to everybody, and I'm where I I'm supposed know. to be too. And I want to know at the start uh, of segment one, before we even talk about a Seahawks victory over the Jets, before we talk about how I think Washington should be declared national champions of college football this year after their <laughs> performance in the Alamo Bowl, before we talk about where Seattle Seahawks are going to be drafted, and all of our guests, I want to know. What is Scott Soden's Uber God. rider 
rating. I want to know. If you knew for a fact that somebody in another room was talking about you, like a couple of your friends were talking shit about you, yeah. are you the kind of person to put your ear to the door to hear what they have to say? Or would you just keep walking and not want to hear what they have to say at all? In a hypothetical world. I think I'd probably keep walking. Yeah, so would I. So, so I'm surprised that you wanted to go look at your score. Well, because in everyday life, I, I suppose I could be a jerk and an ass. I don't know. But I went to look at my score because I was convinced. You know how you think you get a straight 100% on an exam? You probably don't know this feeling. You, no, you, you, you want to know the results of the exam that you think you aced, right? You race to find out the results of the exam that you think you aced. There was no chance that anybody would give me less than a five. Is there a chance that... Come on, ones? I mean, th <laughs> think about... Oh, by the way, I wanted to say, I'm not the guy they pick up coming out of bars drunk. Right. I'm sure Ubers that, that drive late at night have to go pick up people that are just rowdy. I, I'm not that guy. I, I can't even imagine how I got two ones. It's impossible that I would get two ones. Impossible. If, if there were some sort of magical aggregate score of how you treat servers in restaurants, would you expect five across the board as well? Why I'm are we talking if, about that? No, well, well I'm wondering that's if, a if very you, if, it, that's a very complicated <laughs> question. I'm wondering if you'd be the best judge of whether or not your behavior in an Uber. I am is the exemplary. best judge. I'm the best judge. I'm oh, the best you judge. are. Okay. <laughs> as it, as it pertains to, to, to waiters and waitresses. Yes. If I was being rated based on my kindness and the way I talk to them, yeah. I would get fives across the board. If okay. a part of the rating was trying to change up meals because I don't eat certain things and oh, asking yeah, well. for this, that, and the other, if that was a part of the ratings, then I would get, I probably would get panned by certain waiters and wait because I do, I can be a, a tiny bit high maintenance when it comes, <laughs> when it comes to my food. But I'm always nice. I always ask them their name when they don't give yeah. it to us. I want to know their name so that I don't, when I'm calling them, I don't call, hey, I always yeah, ask yeah. their name. I always say goodbye. I'm always nice. Always okay. nice. In fact, my kids, Max and Brett, sometimes say, dad, okay, enough. They think I'm too nice. <laughs> right. They literally think I'm too nice. Okay. Yeah, quit talking to this person. She doesn't want to talk to stop, you anymore. Stop trying to make them believe you're a nice guy when we all know exactly <laughs> right. the kind of bastard you are. <laughs> we know the truth. Stop it. Anyway. All okay. right. I'll check for you. 4.74. Beat the boys. Fireside Home Solutions. Final week. Coming up weekend number 18. Here are your games. Titans at Jags. Lions at Packers. New York Giants at Eagles. The password is Taylor, as in Daryl Taylor, who has popped ah. the last few weeks. He's finally playing good football. Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, all lowercase. Guests on this episode, 221, Rick Neuheisel, the Seahawks no-table, Joe and Brady. And I am curious whether you'll take the time to listen to our third guest at some point this week. Okay. Santa Claus. Oh, Sure. The hardest working Santa Claus in Queens, our guest has been dubbed. His name is Dana Friedman. What I love about him is he's a nice Jewish boy yeah. who, who 20 years ago, because of the World Trade Center disaster, became Santa for the three months around Christmas. Aww. And he was profiled in a magazine. And I got a kick out of it. So I decided, what the hell? Let's have him on Unfiltered. I want to know what the life of a Santa Claus is. Yeah. What's it like every year for three months? Is it a, a passion of love? Do you downside to it? 
Is there an yeah. aggravating? Give me some stories. This guy has been Santa Claus for the Knicks, for the Rangers, hmm. for the Mets. I mean, this guy for the last 20 years has been queen and he's an attorney. He's a nice Jewish boy attorney who puts his attorney work <laughs> to the side for a few months and does Santa. And we invited him on the show and I did the interview. I think it's fun. I think if it's enjoyable and I'm wondering whether you'll even take a listen. I will take a listen. To you that, will. Yes. Of course. A Jewish guy playing Santa. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over it. <laughs> so hot shot, a fresh new year that hopefully is much better to all of us than 2022. And I'm endlessly indebted to the Mitch Unfiltered partners that continue to hang with me as we strive to make this podcast better and better. Like Tyler Hay, Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, from Bellingham south to Portland, Seattle east to Spokane and Boise too, Zeke's Pizza does it the right way. Thanks, Dan Black. Thanks, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. I love Daniel's Broiler. Been with me forever. My son works at the Bellevue location for the last three years. You'll hear Lindsay Schwartz's hopes for 2023. Let's get the spectacular downtown Seattle location humming in the Hyatt. It's a special place. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run on Unfiltered. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers, always there for us. Hopefully the Fed will cooperate this year too. This is the time you need a creative think-outside-the-box mortgage group on your side. His team is ready. 425-890-2957. That's Jordan's personal cell. 425-890-2957. Episode 221, the first of the new year, begins right now unfiltered we've been ragging on the pac-12 as we mm -hmm. as we go into the season it's inferior there's never any good teams yeah uh, they all stink in comparison to the sec and the other big big conferences how about the excitement and the intrigue that will be of the pac-12 going into next year unfiltered it's imperative that the seahawks if they draft number three or number two that the team that's right behind them Whoever that team is, is in need of a quarterback. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 221 is now officially underway. I'm feeling shitty because I've got COVID and I'm a 4.74 Uber rider. Hot shot. Did <laughs> yes. you look? I did. Yes. I didn't want to, but I did. I don't like any personal feedback about me. It makes me very <laughs> uncomfortable. I'd rather, I'd rather not know what anyone thinks about me at all times. Am but I, I going to be I, happy? I'm literally <sighs> praying that you're less than a 4.74. This is how miserable I am. I am going to get great satisfaction 
If you tell me that you are under a 4.74, I can't stand that I'm not closer to five. It's weird that I have the same reaction that you have, and mine's a 4.93. 4.93, and I'm like, who would give me less than a five? Come on. Are you really a 4.93? I am a 4.93. You can check your phone later. I sent you a screenshot to confirm 4.9, but but now my head's doing that thing where I don't no, remember getting into it no, with anyone. Don't like, don't I, start with me. Don't be the guy <laughs> who gets a 97 on the test. Yeah, yeah. Don't be the guy who gets the 98 on the final exam who's wondering why he didn't get 100. Please, yeah, don't be that, that guy. That's what I'm doing. You've got buddies doing. over here at 4.74. Here is actually the reality of 4.93. Had you told me that I was going to be a 4.93 when I looked for the first time, and I found out about this. I might have been disappointed with like I would have said I don't I want I don't want 4.93. Yeah. Now I do any I kill for a 4.93. It is weird that we get rated as humans. That was that was a Black Mirror episode. I know you never watched Black Mirror, but uh, no. but it's but it that was the point of the episode is that you can just not Uber drivers, you just rate people in your life. Oh my god. And and you can only get into like certain country clubs if you have like a 4.3 or higher. And it, your whole life is based on these these ratings, and we're not too far from that. You know who I really feel badly for? Who's the, that? The next Uber driver that picks me up. Because Uh-oh. I'm going to be so damn sweet, and I'm going to start asking questions about, so what do you what, what do you take into account when you rate your your rider? Is it, is it <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to be expo- and I'm going to probably get a one from that guy because yes, I'm going to be asking way too many questions. But I just have to find out now. I'm really yeah. really taken aback and upset by this. And I got to do something to clarify. I got to get a clarification of why I got ones. Impossible. One. What, I mean, what, it's one what? thing if like three and a half or four ones. Hot shot. If you punch I, a guy in the face, you get a two. That's right. <laughs> I mean, God. hot shot. If I were an Uber driver, what it would take for my rider, for me to give my rider a one, <laughs> is picking up somebody at the end of the night and them throwing up in my car. That's right. Literally puking (laughs) all over the car or maybe a fist fight in my car or maybe somebody who sucker punches me from behind and takes all my money. I might even give that guy a two. Okay, (laughs) he was nice before it happened. It's impossible (laughs) that you would ever give somebody a one. And I got two. I want I I want to get these two guys on the show. I want on Mitch Unfiltered the two Uber drivers that gave me a one to come on and explain what I had to do to get a two, three, or four from them that I ended up with a one. Then I would listen to the show. You get those guys on. <laughs> then I'm now I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> that would be amazing. All right. <laughs> Episode 221. We've got the Seahawks dominating the Jets. We'll get into that with the Seahawks. No table. Where has that been for the last four weeks, five weeks, eight weeks? Where has that performance been? The defense plays better. The running game comes alive. Kenneth Walker, the offensive line plays better. But is it too little? Is it too late? Hot shot. They need the mighty Detroit Lions to go to Green Bay this coming week and beat the red hot Packers. Otherwise, it's sayonara. It's curtains on the Seahawks season, no matter what they do against the Rams. And didn't the Lions beat the Packers? Earlier this season? Probably. I know it was in Detroit. Everybody beat the Packers earlier in the season. Packers playing better. They blew out the Vikings on Sunday. (sighs) They're at home. You take Detroit, who's a cold-weather team, but they play inside. You put them in Green Bay. They're playing well. Detroit's playing well, and Detroit's got an outside shot to get in themselves, so they got a lot to play for. But I don't know. It's just shitty 
that we have to sit here and root for other teams at this time of year to help us when all you had to do was win like one more game somewhere along the way yeah. and you'd be in fine shape for the play. And I don't even know. Do you want them to make the playoffs? Because now it looks like that if they make the playoffs, they'll be the seventh seed. And based on Sunday's results, see if I lose you here, the Niners jumped ahead of the Vikings for the number two seed. Okay. So the seven plays at the two. So, so what you're really looking at if you make the playoffs as the seventh seed, is a first-round trip to San Francisco to play the 49. Do you even want that? Do we even want to see that for the third time this year, or have we had enough? Going into the Jets game, I was ready for them to lose to the Jets and just kind of be done with the season. But then they come out, and they look so good at times. I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, maybe there's a little something there. Maybe they could surprise. Like, they sucked me back in with this Jets game. They sucked me they back did? in. So now, they gotta do a little more bit, than, yeah. Come on. They got to do more than that well, to suck you back in. But they look pretty good at times in the Jets game. They did. I was pretty pretty impressed. And then, by the way, what were the Jets? Seven and eight. They're not like they're you know they were playing two yeah. and yeah. They're I mean, playing they're, to they're, get into the playoffs. They were yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm sort of sucked back in to answer your question. Well, but, then you're very easily sucked. You're very well, easily <laughs> sucked back in <laughs> because me? after eight weeks of this nonsense, it takes a <laughs> lot more than a 23-6 victory over the Jets in your stadium on week 17 to suck me back in. You got to do more than that. So the Seahawks. They get to a position where with a win over the Rams, Mr. Playoffs, and a loss of the Packers to the Detroit Lions in Green Bay, the Seahawks would get into the playoffs as the seventh seed and probably play the 49ers, depending upon how that comes out. Now, let's talk about the other part of Seahawks Sunday. We've got a little problem on our hands. Hot okay. shot. The draft positioning. All right. So the good news is the Broncos went out and they lost to the Chiefs as expected. They actually played much better than they've been playing yeah. and gave the Chiefs a game. But the Chiefs beat them. So they're solid right now as number three. The Seahawks would have the number three pick in the upcoming April 2023 draft. But yes. here's, here's the little problem that we have. Okay. The Broncos host the Chargers this week in the final game of the season. The Chargers are a playoff team. That's good, right? The problem is they're locked in at the five. They can't go to six. They can't uh, go to four, three, or two. They know they're going to be playing the next week, seven yeah. days later. So the Chargers may be in a mindset, we don't need this game. This game is unimportant. Let's rest some people yep. for next week. That would be, I won't say catastrophic, but that would be a very bad thing for us. Because if the Broncos then beat the Chargers in Denver for that fifth win, that could drop them all the way from three to, like, say, six or seven. Now, you might say three to six or seven, that's not a big drop, but it would depend, obviously, who wins behind them this week. Right. But three to six is huge because if you think you're getting one of those one of those Bapo defensive players, the Georgia defensive tackle, the linebacker from Alabama at three. I don't think you're getting that guy. I think three to six is just enough to knock you out of the box for hmm. those two defensive players. So this is a, a critical weekend. Now, on the flip side, if you want some good news. Yes. And if you think the Vikings suck, which they sucked in Green Bay because we needed them to win. Right. And somehow the Vikings could drop a game to Chicago this coming okay. week. If the Bears somehow beat the Vikings and let's say the Broncos do their part and lose to a Chargers team that I just said has nothing to play for, then Denver would rise to number two. 
the Seahawks could have the number two overall pick. So I guess what I'm trying to say to you is the range heading into the final week of the season is two, three, four, five, unlikely to be six or seven. So I would say it's either going to be two, three, four, or five hmm. come April 2023 draft. You're right, though. It is the time of year that sucks when you have to root for shitty teams to help you. This is an awful feeling, isn't it? Well, I mean, San Diego's not shitty, but you'll be rooting for their backups, right? Well, so essentially, you're going to be rooting for a crappy team to win. Well, they moved to Los Angeles, so they're Los Angeles now, not San Diego. No. But <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but... But yeah, but we're also counting on a crappy Broncos team, are we not? Yeah, yeah, I we're, guess. It's not like they're playing the game's greatest in the Denver Broncos. They're playing a Broncos team who hasn't won a game in like eight weeks. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, they're no good. They all have their end of the year vacations on their mind next week. It's over. We're going to Hawaii. Let's get the hell out of here. As for the Washington Huskies, oh. did, did you watch the Alamo Bowl on Thursday? I'm sure you did. Every second. How'd Love you like it? it? Oh, it was, I had a blast. It, I, I just, I can't believe how many players are coming back from this team. You, you think about that loss they had at Arizona State. Arizona State just fired their coach. They were like, you and I could have grabbed nine guys from the neighborhood and probably beat Arizona State, you would think, right? Three and nine. They lost to the Arizona. What they if did. they win that game? I'm trying to do the, figure this out here. Like if, if they would have beat Arizona State, what would their season have looked like? They'd, they would have been in the pack. 12 championship game, right? Yes. And had they won, they may have made it to the final four of college football. May not. Unbelievable. But made a, look, I had it all figured out. When the guy at Ohio State missed the field goal, he ruined my whole spiel on episode 221. So at Ohio State 1, I was very prepared to lead off episode 221 with the following. Ready? Yep. Georgia can't beat Ohio State. And Ohio State can't beat Michigan. <laughs> and Michigan can't beat TCU. <laughs> right? And TCU couldn't beat Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. That's right. And yeah. Kansas State couldn't beat Texas during the regular season. Uh-oh. So Kevin Bacon, we're doing it. <laughs> Seven degrees. I had it all figured out. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Texas certainly can't beat Washington. Now I was going to stop no, there can't. as opposed to going to Arizona State, beat Washington, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastern Michigan beat Arizona State, and Buffalo <laughs> <Right>. beat. I, <laughs> I was going to stop, but I had it all figured out. Washington yeah. was the national champions, and then the guy yeah. went out and he missed the field goal. He sure did. Yeah. It was like 21-3. Like Ohio, I, I couldn't believe Georgia was getting crushed like that. I mean, Ohio State was handling them. I thought two 13-0 teams are going to go out in the playoffs today. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. And they found a way to win. And then the, the games were so good that it'll probably be, you know, 49 nothing next week in, in the championship Were they good? Game. Because I thought you are a defensive guy. You got to have defense because there was no defense played hardly in either of the two football games. In the first halves there were, though, wasn't it? A little it was bit. pretty close in both the first a halves. A I, I'm just, it was good considering what we saw last year. I just remember being in a hotel by myself. Family's gone. I'm going to watch these games alone and be left alone. And they yeah. were both shit. They were both done like in the first quarter. So I was excited to have competitive games, man. That was, it was a lot of fun over the weekend. They were great games, but going back to Washington, Washington ends 11 and two. How much momentum does Washington have going into next year's football season? Yeah. Incredible. It's incredible. Right? They went into the game ranked number 12 hotshot. Okay. They're going to finish this season. Once these other games are played this week, no worse than 10th and probably 9th. They're going to jump Clemson. They're going to jump Kansas State. And they're likely going to jump the Penn State-Utah loser in the Rose Bowl. So Washington is going to finish the year in the top 10 of college Unreal. football. And then they're going to have everybody back, just about everybody back, just about yeah. everybody back for next year. And by the way, 
The Pac-12, which everybody takes a big crap on preseason, there'll be nobody taking a crap on the Pac-12 next year. That's right. Because I'll bet you, as I'm sitting here in the first few days of January, I will bet you USC will be in the top 10 preseason. Oregon will be in the top 10 preseason. Mm -hmm. Washington will be in the top 10 preseason. Utah will be pretty damn close, top 15 of the preseason. That's four Pac-12 teams. And look at Oregon State, by the way. Oregon State went 10-3 and three this year with right. a win in their bowl game. Their three losses were to USC, Utah, and Washington. And Oregon wow. State just got the transfer quarterback from Clemson, the guy who's been starting the last three years for Clemson, who got replaced by the freshman, DJ, whatever yeah. his name is. He's going to transfer to Oregon State. So they're going to be in the top wow. 25. I'm yeah. telling you, going into next year, it'll be the first year in forever that people are bullish on the top 25, and Washington's going to be one of those one of those teams. Can we talk about the Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> video? I have, I have that right here. Sark video on my notes. Yes, we I can I want to know what it. you think about, because people are mixed about this. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have to describe too much, because I got to believe that everybody listening by now knows what we're talking about. If you don't, there's a, a viral video that uh, the millions and millions of people have seen right before the game of Sark getting into the face of a young bowl official who was merely trying to time when they ran out on the field. He had his hand up. He touched yeah. Sark a couple of times, and Sark got right in his face and started F-bombing him and told him to get his yeah. effing hands off him. And it was a really bad look. There's no question it was a really bad look. How much flack should Sark get? Now, the slippery slope of this is, if you know the Sark story, that he had, he at one time had trouble with alcohol, Mm -hmm. I believe he's been sober for a lot of years. I believe, I don't know. And yeah. so people uh, uh, obviously Im immediately start jumping to conclusions on social media. How did you feel when you saw it for the first time? Well, as somebody who's struggled himself with people in positions of power, putting their hands on me and I've snapped at people like that in my life. I you had have. a pretty bad temper at one point. Yeah. yeah. When you're going out to play in the biggest football game of the season, yeah. you're amped up. Yep. Yeah. Whether you're a coach or whether you're a player, you want to run through a wall, you're all excited. So I get that part. Like I'm I'm probably a little more sympathetic to someone to that behavior than say my my wife would be. Like that that's something she couldn't comprehend in in 10 lifetimes of her ever doing that, right? I mean, that's just she can't calculate that in her head. So I I'm a little more sympathetic, but he leads young men. He's a 48-year-old man who is in charge of leading young men and at some point you got to hold it together and you got to control yourself. You are in charge. Yeah, he's my age. He's four. I'm two months older than Sark. Like, you can't be doing that anymore, man. You're losing your hair. You're going gray. You're not the tough guy bro who can be getting in people's faces. You got to hold it together. And by the way, for the Michigan game, there was a video of Harbaugh. An official did yeah. the same thing to Harbaugh. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. okay, no problem. Yeah. All good. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you act. That's yeah. that's just that's how you have to act when you're in a position of leadership like him. This isn't going to be great podcast banter because I agree with virtually everything you just said. My opinion, I echo everything that you just said. I can understand his intensity. I can understand the moment. The one thing that I will say to you that I don't agree with is you called the guy that touched him a mm -hmm. position of power. Yeah. You use those words. This is a young guy who's got headsets on and he's hearing from TV when he's allowed. 
He's a volunteer I know, who's, I understand. He, who's being told when he can allow Texas to run onto the field. He's just taking orders in a headset from like TV or the bowl officials. He's not, he's not really a position of power. That's the only differential that I would make or difference that I would make. He's still sort of an authority figure telling you what you can and can't do I and putting so. his hands on you. I guess Right? So. I guess I mean, so. whether, he's, whether he's paid or he's volunteering is really neither Did here he, nor there to me. Does he really put his hands on him or does he just put his arm out and, and kind of make contact with him to say, hey, you can't go yet. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah, no, he, he put it. Yeah, he, he put his hand on his chest to make sure he didn't right. run out early. Right. He was actually trying to help him. You know, we're trying to time this for TV here, guys. Right. Like, right. It's, it's, it, this is a broadcast, if you haven't noticed. So we're trying to help you. Do you think Sark should address it? I have not seen I, any public statement from Texas. I've not seen anything from Sark. So excuse me if I've missed it. I've had COVID. Yeah. But I, I'm assuming that if he's going to address it, he will address it this week, maybe on a coach's show or something. Um, do you think that he should apologize? He should address it. I don't know if he wants to apologize, but he should definitely address it. I mean, you're like I said, you're, you're leading young men. You have to be an example. You're trying to get 17 and 18 year olds to come to your school. Like you have to set an example that, that you are hold. You're someone who can hold it together and parents can trust you to not flip out on and any little thing you might get annoyed by. So I think he should totally address it. And if he doesn't, I think it's a mistake. But if he addresses it, doesn't he have to apologize? I let my emotions Get the yeah. best of me. I was fired up for the game. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't have behaved that way. I was just fired up and ready to go and wanted to play in the Alamo Bowl. And now I look back at that and I say, what was I thinking? Something like yeah, that. I'm embarrassed by my behavior. Yeah, I regret like it. I shouldn't have done that. Right. But it's, you know, a, a team I used to coach on the other side. I'm as fired up as I've ever been. And yeah, yeah there's a way to do it, you know, to kind of save yeah. a little face. Yeah. All right. Guess on this episode 221, Rick Neuheisel's back to talk about the semifinals and give us his pick for the championship game next week in Los Angeles. Seahawks no table on the Hawks finally getting into the win column over the Jets and the hardest working Santa Claus in Queens, <laughs> New York, who just so happens to be a Jewish fellow. He's going to join us, Dana Freeman, on episode 221. 2023 is here, as is the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay Schwartz is back with us, and I'm hopeful that, Lindsay, you'll give us a little update on 2022, how it ended in the holidays, and look forward to goals and hopes for 23. How is everything over there? Yeah, Mitch, it's great. Good talking to you again. I hope you enjoyed the holidays. We sure did. Like we've talked about, it's a busy time for us. And uh, we had a, a fantastic holiday season. We had a little bit of ice and snow to dodge, but uh, didn't slow us down much. So we're really happy with the way things turned out. Wrap up 2022 for Daniel's Broiler as it compared to 2021 at the four locations. You know, it was better. Sales were up, pretty much fully staffed, and we're excited. We had to dodge some uh, supply chain, some inflationary pressure, but uh, overall, it, it was a really good year for us. So when you look forward to this year, and what you'd like to accomplish in the next 12 months. For Daniels Broiler, what's the challenge? You know, overall, just uh, to continue to see some of the inflationary pressures ease, to see the supply chain get straightened out, that would help all four of our locations. The one we're most excited about is our downtown location, downtown Seattle. It's in the Hyatt Regency on the second floor. It's the biggest location we've ever done. It's got the newest decor. It, it's really cool. And we opened that in 2018. We had a pretty good year in 2019, and then, of course, we all know what happened in 2020. So tough timing to open a brand new space, 
But the convention center edition opens in January. It's right across the street from the hotel. We're super excited about that. And we hope it just kind of helps with the momentum overall of downtown Seattle. There's, there's more people working downtown than there were the previous year. And we hope that that trend continues. There's more people that will be taking cruises up to Alaska, leaving from Seattle this summer. So we think that's going to be great. So, so lots of exciting things going on downtown Seattle. And, and hopefully it's just revitalized and get this thing rolling again. I'd imagine that most of our listeners that have been to Daniel's Broiler have not experienced that location. And it's right there across from the Paramount. It's a great night out on a Saturday night if you want to try it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it appeals to locals who are going to Seattle downtown for whatever reason, whether they're going to a show or going shopping, uh, working downtown. And then also, of course, for travelers, for, for business travelers, for tourists. So it really appeals to a wide range. And uh, yeah, people who haven't been there should, should go check it out. It looks a little bit different, kind of updated from the other three. It's really fun and it's cool. Daniel's Broiler in 2023 and try out. The downtown location opened in 2018. Let me tell you, I've been there. It's magnificent. It's a perfect night out on a Saturday night if you want to give it a try. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. College football's championship is set. Both underdogs beat the spread. One wins outright. The other probably should have. Georgia versus TCU, like it or not, in L.A. for the title, and that's where he'll be. Taco Time Northwest presents our weekly discussion with CBS analyst and former coach and player Rick Neuheisel, who also hit his bowl pick of Alabama. Your best year ever just continues against the spread. Why are you going to the Rose Bowl? Oh, I love the Rose Bowl, Mitch. I know you do. Uh, I have great memories of the Rose Bowl from when I was a youngster, uh, and I have great memories of the game as a coach, both as an assistant and as a head coach, and very nostalgic for me. College football is changing so much, which is okay. I mean, that's life. But the Rose Bowl, because of the venue, just kind of feels like it's a throwback. And so I enjoy it and I get good tickets and I go. Okay. <laughs> and so every what year? The heck? Do you go every year? Uh, I try to go every year. Yeah. I love it when I can go. And you're going to stay around for the national championship game on Monday night. I'm going to, I'm going to stay for the whole week. Although the weather doesn't look promising for Los Angeles, so, but I'm going to stay and uh, do my radio show. And then I've got uh, radio obligations for the end of the week. And, but yeah, I'm going to hang out in Los Angeles and enjoy the week that will be uh, celebrating college football 2022. Perfect. Lots of worthy candidates for the who was doing some work this past week. Oh, we'll, yes. we'll get that. We'll get there in a moment, but first, Let's start with Thursday night. You and I both asked the question, why is Texas the betting favorite against Washington when they're losing guys and Washington isn't? The dogs control the game. They take care of the Longhorns. They finish 11-2 in Kalen DeBoer's first season. Pretty terrific turnaround, wouldn't you say? Incredible turnaround. It just goes to show you 
what can be done in today's college football world when a coach and a quarterback reunite? It happened with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, although they'd never been apart, right? They just uh, moved locations. Yeah. We saw Bo Nix get back with his guy, Kenny Dillingham, and it ends up creating an opportunity for Kenny Dillingham to be the new head coach at Arizona State. Bo Nix is going to come back to Oregon. It's a remarkable season for them. And Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer get back together at Washington and take a moribund offense and make it electric. That's an incredible turnaround, and it just shows you uh, what can be done. And that's why you're seeing so many coaches, like the kid from Cal is headed to Louisville to be back with Jeff Brom. We're seeing the kid from Boston College, Jakovic, go to Pittsburgh to be back with his offensive coordinator, Signetti. Let me get back with a guy that I know what I'm doing, and let's see if we can make some magic. And certainly it's uh, it's been magic and then some for a number of schools. They won 27-20 in the Alamo Bowl. It wasn't the kind of game that any of us expected. We all expected fireworks in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and yet Washington for the first time all year did it with a little defense, which should be encouraging to Husky fans. Absolutely. They have recruited really well defensively for years, uh, regardless if it was, you know, which staff was there. Chris Peterson's staff was outstanding on de- the defensive side. Uh, and so too now has Kalen DeBoer's you go around Jimmy Lake obviously cut his teeth on that side of the ball, but this is really good football being played by Washington. And they're going to come into next year, a top 10 team with big time expectations because Mitch, those receivers are really, really talented. They're not going to be the only team. I I think the PAC 12, and we spent some time talking about it on the other segments of this podcast, Rick, you know, everybody likes to, take shots, pot shots at the Pac-12 preseason. I think next year, when you look at it, you've got USC will be in the top 10. Washington might be in the top 10. Oregon might be in the top 10. Utah will be around the top 10. Without question. Here's an Oregon State team that went 10-3 and that's getting the transfer from Clemson, I hear. The quarterback from Clemson. DJ Uwe Ungalale. That's right. Uh, I I would think that going into next year, there'll be more encouraging words written and spoken about the Pac-12 than in any preseason in the last at least five or eight. And it's been about the best card that's been dealt George Klyovkov in his tenure to come into a season with the kind of aspirations that the Pac-12 will have for for a year from now. Now, they might be short-lived given that SC and UCLA are off to the Big Ten. Right. But the facts of the matter are the quarterback position in the Pac-12 next year might be as strong as any conference has had in the history of college football. Really? Wow. Think think that through. Michael Penix coming back, Caleb Williams coming back, both will be at the top of the list of Heisman Trophy candidates. Right. DJ Uyunglele coming to Oregon State. Yeah, he was not as advertised at Clemson, but it's a new lease on life for a guy that was a five-star coming out of high school at St. John Bosco. You've got uh, Bo Nix, the kid, Bo Nix, who had a monster year and seemingly can only get better, especially as they bring in an offensive coordinator from UTSA who just coached Frank Harris to a brilliant season as the quarterback of the Roadrunners there in Conference USA. You've got Cam Rising. He's coming back. Cam Rising looking like he's coming back. That is an incredible array 
of talent. Yeah. UCLA has got a kid coming in from uh, Kent State, Connor Schley, that was brilliant in the MAC. Also, a youngster out of Detroit, five star recruit that's a brilliant talent prospect. Drew Pine transferring to Arizona State from Notre Dame, who uh, kind of righted the ship for the Irish. It is a fascinating year. And 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 stay tuned. Washington State just got this kid, Ben Arbuckle, the 27-year-old offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky. Don't be surprised if that Western Kentucky quarterback doesn't follow him in the next time the transfer portal is available. Before we get too far away from the Alamo Bowl, I have to ask you about the Sark video. You're not much of a internet. Bio. I saw it. I, saw I, it. I think you made more t- more of it than it needed to be made of it. Well, I, I just want you to to know. I mean, it's not just me. This this, this thing is. Oh, I know. Caught, it caught went viral. It, it went, went viral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You saw it. You've been in that position a million times. Coming out, being told when you can leave and when you want to come <laughs> out, and you saw him really get on the the young guy. He overreacted. Yeah. There's no question that he yeah. overreacted, and yeah. he didn't need to get angry and puff his chest at the guy uh, who's just trying to do his job, waiting for the producer to say, let him go. Cause they've got a telecast and all that stuff going on. It just shows a guy ready to do battle. That that's all it was. He wasn't crazy or out of line. He was just amped up. It was an important game and he was going against his former team with his new team, trying to, you know, get these alums. And the reason they were a favorite is because Texas alums just believe that's what Texas should be. And the Texas money was on the Longhorns. At the end of the day, much ado about nothing, in my estimation. Should he acknowledge, should he speak publicly about the incident now that a million people, millions of people have watched? Probably. Probably and say, listen, that was inappropriate. I wasn't, I just was ready to go. And the guy had his hands on me and I, I jumped at him and I snapped and it was the wrong thing to do, but I was just anxious to get going. Okay. Be a simple apology. Okay. Let's go to the semifinals. Michigan loses the TCU, the overturned touchdown. I don't think there's anybody in the country except for the, the replay officials that were doing that game that would have overturned that. As it turns out, it comes back to haunt them. Just overall thoughts on that play and Michigan's loss to TCU and whether we've seen the last game coached at Michigan by khaki pants. Can he resist the temptation of the NFL if it were to call this offseason? Well, I agree with you that you know when the call on the field is a touchdown, it's hard to find evidence in the replay that would tell you that you need to take that ball back to the one-yard line. That makes no sense to me. And yet, probably it takes two hands over the course of a college football season to say things that makes no sense to you, right? <laughs> but it, it just it just turned out that way. Uh, I think Michigan, when they look back at themselves on that film, they're going to say two pick sixes and two times not scoring inside the five-yard line are a way to lose. And also giving up 263 yards rushing to a team when you are the number three rush defense in the country, having given up only 80 something yards a game over the course of the year, 
you have your you have to look at yourself in the mirror. I know there's ample reasons to be angry with the officials, but at the end of the day, you can't throw two touchdowns to the other team yep. and you got to score when you're inside the 10-yard line. Did you have a problem with his clock management at the end where he took the timeouts when he didn't take the timeouts? I was okay when he was on defense. I thought he was way too slow as an offense. When they were trying to get down there and scoring, you know, to be huddling and to be taking that kind of, you needed to get the ball back into the hands of the frogs with a one score deficit with five minutes left. He let it get all the way down to three. And then he waited because of the first down. You, you know, when you make nine yards on first down, make right. it a second and one, right. you're holding on to those times. I understood that, but there would needed to be more urgency on the offensive side. How about the thriller UGA somehow somehow survives a great place kicker isn't able to make a field goal at the end. A lot of people taking shots at Ryan day, the head coach of Ohio state, because he kind of called off the dogs. He, he took the ball out of Stroud's hand when they got to the 31 or 32 or 30 yard line. A lot of people thinks that he should have let Stroud with the kind of game he was playing, make one or two plays to make it a chip shot. Any problems with that? I tell you what, you knew Georgia was going to have to come after you. I thought there was an ample place for a quarterback draw. I would have not wanted to throw the ball there. I would. I agreed with that uh, on, on down one. The next two downs, I did not agree with unless it was play action. But even with play action, there's going to be come, guys coming off the edge. The, the play there is quarterback draw because the quarterback – and the running back, if you get everybody spread out, the numbers allow for it, no matter how they're going to play you, as long as there's a safety, you can you can block everybody and you can get the the, the kick closer. I, I felt like they were in range, especially the kid just kicked a 48 yarder. So there wasn't real reason to feel that you know, that you were in des- you know desperate times of having to have 10 more yards. Understand why Ohio State Buckeye fans feel that way now. The two seminal plays in the game that Buckeye fans want to really review. Number one is the timeout right before the fake punt. Did he get it in? Because that was, that was a huge play, a huge play. Did he really get the timeout? Yeah. And then the second thing, and and very little attention has been paid to this, but when the score was 38, 33, after Georgia had scored a touchdown, they went for two to make it a 38, 35 game. The two point play, the little receiver come in motion. No one was set when he started in motion. That was a illegal motion play on the two point conversion on the two point conversion. Yeah. There was there's people were still setting their feet and he'd already put uh, McConkey in motion. It just should not have been a legal play. And they gave him the two points. Mm. But for that, if you move it back to the eight and you imagine just for a second that they're unsuccessful on that. Now that touchdown that ends up being a touchdown and they need a two point just to tie the game. Yeah. But uh, the officials let that go just as they also let that go with the, you know, targeting at the back of the end zone, a play that they called on the field and then called off. And yet the receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr., was not able to return because of concussion like symptoms. There's no questioning how good Stroud was against that Georgia defense on that day in a losing cause. I think you've been a Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud on Sundays in the NFL all the way to now. I'm going to give you one last chance (laughs) to change your mind on that. Are you still Bryce Young on Sundays better than C.J. Stroud on Sunday? I believe Bryce Young is the better player. I believe Bryce Young has more ability in the midst of a play 
to be Patrick Mahomes like than CJ Stroud does. That's just my my gut feeling. Do you not it. do you not watch Tua and worry about Bryce Young's size? Listen, I worry that Bryce Young is not tall, that he's got some issues, and and I I look at Kyler Murray, but I don't worry that Bryce Young's going to have to have a caveat in his contract saying he has to watch film. I think Bryce Young's very cerebral, very calm, and very productive, and I would have a hard time finding a better quarterback than he, given the current draft crop. But the Tua thing. Watching a small quarterback get thrown to the ground. Who is not overly small? Two is two is a six foot one to six foot two guy. Are you sure? Yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been on the field with two. I I've, I've stood next to two. He's Tua. a concussion he, waiting to happen. He's yeah, getting and, thrown and around. I feel I feel horrible for Tua, uh, but I think that there's going to be a hefty payday from the NFL very soon for Tua. I think the NFL is in a harm's way oh. with this situation with Tua. Really? And yeah, I, I wish no ill will on anybody, but I just think the wow. fact that they've already fired somebody for a concussion protocol issue and he went back on the field now has suffered another concussion. He suffered that one against the Bengals because he the one against the Bills wasn't acknowledged. Then he goes and gets another one and no one calls that one out. I, I just think there's a large, large potential for uh, litigation. Okay. Spoken by a true attorney. Listen, <laughs> you know that Taco Time Northwest, who sponsors this segment, loves to celebrate guys and gals that are doing some work, always looking to, to expand the Taco Time Northwest team with people that just love to work at tacotimenw.com. There's a lot of people to choose from. Would you like to take the ball or would you like to kick off? Would you like to go first or second on this? I'm going to defer. I'm going to let you go first this time. Well, there's a litany of choices on Georgia, a litany of choices on TCU. And I feel like it should be an offensive ball player just with how offensive both games and high scoring both games were. But, but as I watched that Michigan TCU game, Rick Neuheisel, Yes. Every time I looked up, this number 98 on TCU was making a play in the backfield at Michigan. And then yes. I went I went and I looked at the stats. He had four sacks. Yes. He had four sacks. The guy's name is Dylan Horton. I don't Dylan know Dylan Horton. I don't know him from a hole in the wall, but all I know is in a game of that magnitude, four sacks in a game of that magnitude. Think about if somebody had four sacks in the NFC championship game, or if somebody had four sacks in the Super Bowl to help his team win. We'd be talking about MVPs and sending that guy to Disneyland or Disney world. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say Dylan Horton with four sacks and a forced fumble was doing some work for TCU. How about you? I'm going to agree with you. And by the way, Miller Bradford, who led TCU in tackles, D winners was second in tackles. Dylan Horton, the man, the man you just mentioned is doing some work was third. Abraham Kamara was fourth. All four of those defenders were TCU guys from the beginning. No transfers there. Oh, so I just thought okay. that should be mentioned that okay. they didn't buy this team. Okay. They actually uh, raised this team, and Gary Patterson deserves a little credit sure. for those guys sure. being in the program. Sure, you, this is going to be a little bit outrageous, Mitch, but I'm going to do it anyway because the fine folks at Taco Time understand some creative thinking. 
I know they would like for us to put out to, to point out individuals that are doing some work, but I want to mention a segment of the game where work was being done. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you realize that in the third quarter with seven minutes and change left, I'm going to say seven 45 all the way down to 12 22 of the fourth quarter, somewhere in that number, that's somewhere 10 minutes of playing time. Right. Okay. Right. 10 minutes of playing time. I want to give you what took place in that VRBO Fiesta Bowl. Michigan went three plays for 45 yards and a touchdown. TCU went six plays, 75 yards and a touchdown. Right. Michigan went three plays through a pick six for another touchdown. Then Michigan got the ball back, went three plays, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Then TCU got the ball back, three plays, 78 yards, touchdown. Michigan would get the ball back, three plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown. TCU would get the ball back, turn the ball over on the first play, give it to Michigan, who in two plays would go 27 yards and a touchdown and add a two-point conversion. And then TCU would go three plays, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Whoa! In 10 minutes, we had eight touchdowns. <laughs> There was some work being done. Not on defense. <laughs> and no drive. Oh. No drive except the one TCU that took six plays. Wow. Went beyond three plays. It's incredible. That's a stretch I mean, it where was, everybody was doing some work. <laughs> if you went to get popcorn at that time <laughs> and came back because, complaining about the outrageous uh, length of the line, uh, you're, you're looking at a score that when you left was 21 to 9. And when you came back, was, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> what just happened is that everybody who had the over was feeling good after not feeling oh my so good goodness. at that particular point. All right, so we come to the end of the penultimate. There'll be one more visit in a couple of weeks with Rick Neuheisel for this college football season. It's sad to say that our time together one more segment after the national championship, two weeks from now on Mitch Unfiltered. That being said, he's something like 12 and four against the spread this year. Just tremendous. I mean, yeah. tremendous. I have to say that when you've been making all these picks, you've had lots of games to choose from. That's yes. part of the nature of yes. Rick's picks. However, we get to that point in the year every year where you only have one game to choose from. Now, there's going to be a national championship game. Between TCU and Georgia, it's going to happen in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. I urge you to take a little gander when you go to SoFi Stadium across the road because there's a certain NBA arena that we're very proud of that's going up <laughs> right across the road. Keep right. a look-see. Keep a look-see out there <laughs> for my favorite NBA arena. You owe us one more pick. You don't choose the game. I choose the game. The game is TCU. Versus Georgia, you do have two choices, or you can take them both. There's a 13.5-point favorite, Georgia, or there's a 62.5-point over-under. The game is in L.A. for the National Championship of College Football. 12-4. and four. Will he be 13-4? and four? Will he be 14-4? and four? Will he be 12-5? and five? Which way does Rick's picks lean 
for the national championship. This is uh, this is interesting. Kendra Miller left the game for TCU. I'm not sure what his availability will be. I know they'll say he's you know going to try and do his best. The same can be said for Darnell Washington, who left the game for Georgia. Yes, but to me. I think Georgia played the toughest team that they could play, which was the explosive nature of CJ Stroud and that wide receiver crew, even though they lost Marvin Harrison in the third quarter. I, I am going to go. I'm going to go with uh, Georgia. I'll give the points. Wow. I'll take the Bulldogs and I'll uh, tip my cap to Kirby Smart for a second national championship back to back over the course of those two seasons, 29 and one pretty heady stuff. 13 and a half. I'm giving him somewhere. Max is saying 13 and a half <laughs> coach. Have you not watched me quarterback the TCU horn frog 13, 13 of 29. Max Duggan was Come 14 on. of 29 13 and a half points and, coach. And, and uh, the secondary of Georgia will only be better. I know they got Quentin Johnston, but they have a way to play that run. That's going to be superior to what Michigan did. That's my gut. I'm, I'm taking Georgia. I'm sticking with it. Georgia in a blowout. As oh. they would say in the game show, final answer. Final answer from Rick Neuheisel, who will visit us again. Two episodes from right now, just to wrap up the college football season. Enjoy Los Angeles. Get out and play golf. I hope that you don't get your flight canceled three different times like I did <laughs> from Los Angeles and you return home soon. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, Mitch. Take care, pal. Happy New Year. Well, I'll be damned. Look, look who it. All right. That was corny. That was corny. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. What's the latest over there, Dan? How's Zeke's doing? That was very corny. That's even cornier <laughs> than the nicknames. It's funny, though. Uh, uh, what's new over here? You know, it's it's fall time and lots of football, uh, lots of pizza, lots of beer. We're transitioning here to a new beer lineup. Fall has its own rhythms, uh, moves a little bit more towards delivering takeout and away from dine in a little bit, but people are coming in to watch football in our bars and stuff and so we're like probably most of the listeners here is we're, yeah. we're rooting for rooting for the Hawks and enjoying that I'll tell you what anybody who's listened to Unfiltered knows that you guys are growing like a weed Spokane is humming along a visitor too from a certain Gonzaga basketball coach Boise Idaho is on the way that'll represent the first restaurant outside of the Washington State and I was wondering going back to the beginning was that always the idea, the wide, wide footprint going outside of the state of Washington, Dan? Yeah, Mark Few asked for you while he was <laughs> over there. I told him you'd be right over. I did. It wasn't necessarily when it started. Uh, Doug and Tom, our founders, it was more basic than that. They really wanted to kind of live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. And to them, that meant powder skiing and windsurfing. And <laughs> they had lame jobs in Anderson Consulting that really didn't allow them to do a lot of that. So they, you know, they founded Zeke's to have kind of the independence and be able to build the life they want. And, you know, we continue to do that through our franchising. That's a cool thread from our origin. But pretty soon after we started, it became clear that we were definitely the pizza place that had kind of Northwest values at its roots. And it became clear that we could become the Northwest pizza place. And, you know, one foot in front of the other all these years, we're on the verge of actually doing that. You mentioned that we're uh, getting ready to open Boise. That's on track for February. And, you know, we're working on Portland and it looks like that has a good chance of happening. And so between those two things, we actually will be the real Northwest pizza place. It'll be great. Incredible. Feels like winners really snuck up on us. Zeke's has always had the best local beer selection. We've talked about that. And you've always said that there are certain brews that go well 
with this time of year? What are those? Yeah, you know, winter beers, they heavy is the wrong term, but they're a little bit more high octane and drink one or two or so. We just got a new batch of Zeke and Destroy that hit uh, restaurants a couple days ago. And, and Zeke and Destroy is one of our flagships. It's one of the ones that you can only get at Zeke's. We talk about all the beers that you can only get at Zeke's. And that's one of the most popular ones for sure. So we just got a new batch of kegs in for that. It's in most of the restaurants. And like I say, it's high octane. It's a double IPA. It's almost 9%. So proceed with caution, but they're really tasty and they they go really well in winter. So oh, Zeke's Pizza, download the app. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Walker, bottom of your screen is a receiver. Geno Smith to throw and has time. Close one for the end zone. Catch me! It's a Seahawks touchdown. Kobe Parkinson. Looking on as Juno Smith throws, caught, falling across the goal line. And that is a Seahawks touchdown. Tyler Mabry. Across the board, everybody played like we were hoping. Um, we were able to play like the, the complimentary football where we, we, we made the turnovers. Uh, we had field position. We could have done better in the red zone, but we did a lot of really positive things all day long. Offense did not turn the football over. A plus three for the day is huge. Huge day for us in, in that regard. Seahawks, no table time. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. Seahawks insider Joe Fan in Vegas, win bet in Las Vegas. Hey, guys, we got a chance to talk about a Seahawks victory on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered. 23-6. to Brady, what's more impressive, the Seahawks performance or your haircut? Since the last time we were together, I thought you were going to say uh, that or me finally winning a KP and getting uh, off the Schneid. You're off the Schneid. You're off the Schneid. How'd they do it? They did it with, uh, I think, their most complete performance of the season, certainly of of the past two months. I mean, this looked like the team uh, from October that had you know jumped out to a six and three start, first place in the NFC West, and really. When you consider how good their defense was in this game, it was probably better than any performance they had uh, in October. This was just an, a resounding win uh, with Ken Walker running the ball. Wasn't outside of that 60 yard run. Wasn't like a great day. I think it was three and change that he averaged aside from that run. But when you factor that run in, which set up their first touchdown, uh, really a good day for Ken Walker. And I think between what Walker and the defense did, you know, it, it seems like maybe what they did in the second half of that Kansas City game was kind of the start of something, even though it, it, it you know, you would have been reasonable in, in questioning whether or not that was the case uh, or if that was just sort of garbage time success. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they look like they might be kind of finding something now. Well, it, it could be too little too late, but winning this game keeps them alive in the playoff race. They're going to need some help. I'm sure Mr. Playoff knows all about that, uh, but this was their most complete game in a while, if not the entire season. Joe, you buying it? You drinking the Kool-Aid? I'm going to give them credit for what they did on Sunday. I mean, it was a dominant win. Like, like uh, Brady said, resounding, comprehensive, top to bottom. I, I think if you're looking at, you know, one source of immense optimism, it's, it's Daryl Taylor. Who's really come on of late um, and two and a half sacks. He was all over the place. It's really impressive. And it's crucial that he continues to develop and progress because of one, the investment in him and two, you know, just the, the position of value that they are so in, in desperate need of. So yeah, lots of things to feel really good about. The Seahawks no table is presented by taco time, Northwest taco time, home 
of the what, Joe fan? Home of the the Mexi tots. Home of the what, Joe fan? The 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 tater Mexi tots. Home of the what, Joe fan? Mexi tots is a better name, but it's the tater fries. Ah, the tater fries. We should get this. We need the CEO on the uh, on the note table one time so we can workshop names. We can do that. Brady Henderson, high and tight. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. Where are we on the injury situation? How bad was the Jordan Brooks injury? It looked bad. Yeah, I mean, and you know, Pete Carroll did not have an update on it post game, other than to say that Brooks was uh, getting some testing done Sunday evening. So I don't know for sure, but it does not look good. I mean, he immediately grabbed his right knee, uh, stayed down, was uh, you know carted off into the locker room, and was immediately ruled out, which is usually not a good sign. And as we've been talking about this entire season, that's probably the thinnest spot on their entire roster, uh, inside linebacker depth. And, um, you know, we talk about all the the strides that they may be making on defense. That's going to be really hard for them to continue uh, without Brooks, who's their leading tackler and maybe one of their fastest players on defense and uh, just a, a hard guy to replace for them. One of the leading tacklers in all the National Football League. But, Joe, I, I don't want to put you in a bad spot. Everybody hates to see anybody get hurt. You've never been the biggest Jordan Brooks fan. What do you call them? Empty calorie tackles or empty tackles? You don't think he's as good as maybe others believe he is. Yeah, I think when it when it, when it comes out that he's like leading Pro Bowl voting at one point or you know people it's, that's not to say he's not a a solid player. I just don't think he's someone who you look at and say he is a foundational piece. He is someone that is transformative on the defense. Now, they're so thin at middle linebacker the loss still stings. You know, I don't want to pretend it to say, oh, no big deal. Um, they'll be just fine. I mean, they might be just fine, but yeah, it's a significant loss. And the fact that it's not just these last couple of games, however long it goes, uh, potentially into the wild card round, potentially beyond, potentially it's done, you know, next Sunday if if uh, if the Packers take care of business against the Lions. But yeah, it's, it's you feel terrible for him. It's tough too because of the timing. I mean, not just for the Seahawks in the middle of a playoff race, but also for Brooks because this is his third season. When a guy plays three seasons, he's then eligible for a contract extension. So I don't know if the Seahawks would have done that or if they would have picked up his fifth-year option and sort of deferred that decision to next offseason. But it's a tough break for him no matter what. Are there other injuries we should know about? Tyler Lockett played in the game but then went out with a different injury, not the hand. Anybody yeah, else he, that we need to know about heading into the final game against the Rams? Phil Haynes suffered an ankle sprain, and it sounds like it could keep him out uh, for a while. But, you know, he's obviously uh, rotating with Gabe Jackson at right guard. So they would just stick with Jackson there. Uh, Lockett, as you mentioned, he left the game, got hit hard, I think, on his right leg and had to to leave the game and get it checked out. But he was back uh, for the start of the fourth quarter and he, and he uh, played most of the fourth quarter, I think. So the. I don't think there was any issue with him post game and, and he made it through the game. Uh, okay. Finger wise, didn't have any issue with his surgically repaired hand 13 days after surgery. Do we have any conclusions that we want to draw from watching sauce Gardner, Joe and uh, Tariq woolen, the two best cover rookies in the national football league. I noticed again, it's a big bugaboo of mine that sauce Gardner went with DK Metcalf, wherever he went. And as a result, it was a one-catch, three-yard performance, probably the worst game of DK Metcalf's career, as opposed to what the Seahawks do with their stud, Woolen, which is put him on one side of the field and allow the offense to decide who he's matched up against and send guys the other direction. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Seahawks fans who wanted to maybe pretend that that Sauce Gardner was overrated, getting more hype than he should because he's in New York. Always oh, got the flashy nickname. He was a first round pick. I think it. If you're going to be honest with yourself, you have to walk away and say that guy's pretty damn good and is is worthy of the the flowers he's been given all season. But you also have to recognize, you know, I know it wasn't all Tariq Woolen, but Garrett Wilson three catches on eleven targets for 18 yards. I mean, that's sensational. I know Mike white missed him a couple of times uh, where he was open. It was not a good day for Mike white. There was, there were definitely some, some throws that he missed on Sunday as he kind of came back from, from the rib injury that kept him out for a couple of games. He was not good, but yeah, you've got to give the Seahawks defense a ton of credit as well. Yeah. One catch for three yards on five targets for Metcalf and Lockett had a very quiet day himself with only two catches for 15 yards. Jets have an excellent cornerback tandem in Gardner and uh, DJ Reed, the former Seahawk, and they, they took those guys out of the game. And that's why Geno Smith really had to get his tight ends involved. This was probably the most involved they've been all season, even without Will Disley there. The opening touchdown pass to Colby Parkinson, Tyler Mabry caught a touchdown pass. I think uh, Parkinson had like seven targets, I, I believe. Yeah, seven targets. Noah Fant had uh, two catches for 40 yards. So tough day for, for Lockett and Metcalf. Uh, you could say that Metcalf was lost in the sauce if you will, uh, against Sauce Gardner. But uh, yeah, they needed their tight ends to step up, and they did. How do we explain where this has been? Uh, It just pops up at the end of the year against a Jets team that was trying to go in the playoffs or go for the playoffs. You've got a Seahawks team who, if they would have played like this against the Panthers, or they would have played like this maybe against the Raiders, at least defensively, we wouldn't be talking about needing the Detroit Lions to beat the Green Bay Packers and getting help to get into the playoffs. How do you explain, Joe, take a shot. How do you explain that all of a sudden they play better football, quality football enough to get a a win like this? I don't know. I don't have anything for you. It, It is sort of inexplicable. I mean, I didn't anticipate them absolutely dominating the way they did. The defense was one of the worst in football for a month plus, and I didn't really take anything away from that Kansas City game that said, okay, things are improving. You know, again, we talked about that on Thursday uh, for the Friday show that, you know, yeah, there was maybe some positive things that happened, but not necessarily. I'm going to, I'm going to buy in as an indication of of future success. And clearly I should have to a degree because they were sensational. I don't know. It's hard to know what to make of it other than it was a really good day across the board for the Seahawks. Brady. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I uh, not to remind you guys of this, but I picked them to win. I, I you know, only picked them to win by three points. So I didn't think it was going to be this uh, complete of a win. And it is hard to explain because you can't just say that, you know, oh, well, you know, the Jets are worse team than the 49ers and the Chiefs because the Seahawks struggled against uh, worse teams than the Jets. You know, Carolina and the Raiders also struggled in the Rams game that they won. I don't know if it's anything other than just the natural ebbs and flows of a young team that is going to be prone to uh, being up and down and they've been up, they've been down uh, and it looks like they might be coming back up again. The offensive line deserves some kudos, Joe. We've been ragging on the interior of that offensive line for the last several weeks and understandably. So in come the jets. We talked about it on the last note table with one of the most destructive defensive tackles, interior defensive linemen in all the National Football League, for the most part, did a nice job protecting Geno Smith and for the most part, carved some holes for the running game to the tune of 38 carries, 198 yards. Good job by the offensive line. That was without 
Abe Lucas. They gave up three sacks, which I don't know if is a number that you would look at and say uh, is stellar, but but maybe a step in the right direction. You know, what four, eight, nine quarterback hits? That's still a pretty decent number. But yeah, it certainly could have been worse. They weren't a liability to where they were dominated all game long, and and it, it you know it made it impossible for the Seahawks to move the football. So yeah, again, when we're looking at are things trending in the right direction, we basically spent six weeks talking about how the regression was sort of comprehensive on the roster, both sides of the football, all of it. And, uh, and now it's, it does sort of feel like no matter what happens next week, you know, you want to beat the Rams, you should beat the Rams. You don't want to end your season and losing to the Baker Mayfield led Rams at home uh, with something on the line. You can't no show there, but, but even if the Packers are to win and you, and you end up out in the cold in the, in terms of the, the playoff picture, you can at least say point to several different things and say, okay, these are, are genuine aspects that are trending in the right direction. All right, Joe, I have to ask you. I have to give you the hypothetical. Okay. The Lions beat the Packers in Green Bay, and you have a choice as a Seahawks fan. Either beat the Rams and go to the playoffs in the 2022 season, and the Broncos beat the Chargers who have nothing to play for and therefore, your first round pick drops from three to about six or lose to the Rams, lose the opportunity to the playoffs. But the Broncos lose to the Chargers and you solidify the three or even the two pick in the upcoming draft. Which one are you choosing? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Given there is one week left and it is playoffs or pick, everything in me says you want that third overall pick, but I don't think you can replace playoff appearances. And do I think they're one and done? Certainly, but weird things happen and they're professionals too. And we've seen them play good football in spurts against good teams. And I think for a young team to overachieve in, in that sort of manner, no matter what would happen in that, in the playoffs, in the wild card round, I, I do think that's important when, maintaining buy-in and culture and belief that, uh, again, this is a, a ship that it's headed in the right direction and maybe not a full rebuild, tear down to the studs type of situation. Brady, he's choosing a third game in San Francisco. Joe Fan is choosing a third game in San Francisco Will there'll be probably two touchdown underdogs over the number two or three pick in the draft, which could be a quarterback, the defensive tackle of Georgia, the linebacker of Alabama. Did you just hear Joe Fan pick a return trip to San Francisco? You want to do over? No, but I'm not <laughs> going to fight with anybody, anybody about it. I'm not going to fight with anybody about okay. it. it All right. The practical realist in me uh -huh. says you need to pick. Okay. But... I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, with the playoff spot. I, I don't care to argue with anyone about it. I, okay. You're, you're not wrong. Everything you are saying is, is I don't totally know. valid. No, I don't know what I would do. I'm just asking the questions here. I'm not answering them. Brady Henderson wins the KP. He draws even, I think, or no, does he go ahead of you? Does he go ahead of you? I, or think, does he I think we're tied. All right. Tied. But. Brady Henderson draws closer. Let's put it that way, which brings us to the taco time. Northwest. Who was doing some work? You know that Taco Time 
celebrates those that love to do some work. And they're always looking for those types of people to join their Taco Time Northwest team at TacoTimeNW.com. In fact, great perks, great benefits, great compensation packages. Brady Henderson, since you won the KP, we're going to afford you two things. A, you're going to go first with your pick for the Rams on Thursday when we record the next one. And B, you get the pick of the litter for who is doing some work in the Seahawks' 23-6 victory over the New York Jets. I'm going to say Daryl Taylor, and I know we've already talked about him, but I think, you know, with the, is as critical as we've all been and, and fairly so of some of his play this season, I think it's only fair to acknowledge that he's really been coming on of late uh, two and a half sacks in this game, three quarterback hits, uh, a tackle for loss, a pass defense. Uh, he forced the fumble on, on one of those sacks at the end of the first half. And, you know, this is kind of the continuation of, of him heating up, not really met expectations this season in terms of being uh, the every down or at least being, you know, the the, the primary sort of starter opposite Uchenna Nwosu really had some struggles uh, against the run, and he's been demoted to really more of a, um, you know, more of a, a situational pass rusher. And even if that's all he is, and and they still have to draft a, an outside linebacker to play on the other side of Nwosu and really use Taylor as as just a pass rusher, he's got some real tools there that he could be a a, a pretty effective player, and he's showing it. So Daryl Taylor in this game, and really for the last three, four weeks uh, has been doing some work. Joe fan win bet in Las Vegas. Yeah. Daryl Daryl Taylor is the obvious one. Uh, I was going to go with him, but it's only, it's only fitting that that Brady stole mine this week. Since I feel like I always steal his eight and a half sacks now for Daryl Taylor on the season is, is really impressive. Um, how about uh, Tyler Mabry just called up from the practice squad uh, with Will Disley out catches his first career touchdown on a seven yarder on his lone catch of the game. Uh, it was a tight end day. Kobe Parkinson had a great game as well. Um, as Brady mentioned, they they really looked to the tight ends in the absence of a big game from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So good for Tyler Mabry, uh, an important touchdown, but also a nice feel-good story as well. And I'll go with Kenneth Walker, despite the fact that after the first 60-yarder on the first carry, I guess the, the remainder of the game, he went 22 carries. Let's see if I can do the math. 22 carries and 63 yards isn't going to be great. But when it's all said and done, he did have that 60-yarder. So he goes 23 for 133. I'll also tip my cap to the interior of the Seahawks offensive line who had to deal with Quinn and Williams, did a nice job. I would say Kenneth Walker and the offensive line did some work that they haven't been doing over the last many weeks, which brings us to the end of the Seahawks note table. The first Seahawks note table of 2023 we'll be back together again for the patrons later this week when we look forward to the rams game and it might be the final kp of the year the final hole the final par three that we all play on the seahawks no table joe fan win bet in las vegas thank you joe thanks fellas happy new year and brady henderson espn seahawks insider high and tight with the new trim thank you brady Thank you, Mitch. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guess who's joining us? Well, typically, I would call him Jordan Flowers, J-Flow of the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, but that's no longer correct, right, Jordan? That's right. We've officially moved and are in our new office space here in Woodenville, Washington, downtown, right next to our great partners at Zeke's Pizza. You got to go there three times a week for lunch. Now, how am I going to get used to 
saying the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How many times am I going to make that mistake? And how many times <laughs> am I going to hear from you? Mitch, you keep calling us the Kirkland office. I've got the over underline at plus or minus 10, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Interest rates have been a, a topic of conversation around the country, around the world, kind of like butterflies these days. What are you seeing? Yeah, we, we've made it through this year's highs. We've been seeing rates coming down over the last month and a half. Uh, we are sitting still at elevated levels, but they are down a solid half to three quarters percent interest getting back into the sixes. And with all of our buyers, we are working with them to get them into the three, four five percent range right now. Speak to us specifically. How do you guys do that at Cross Country Mortgage? Yeah, it's a it's a program that's come back into the market. Really, it's a temporary buy down option where we're working with the sellers, getting them the sales price that they've been coming on at and getting credits for our buyers to help temporarily buy that rate down for the first year, second year, third year to get that payment down until they're ready to refinance into a long-term 30-year fix at that no rate. And before we finish up, I got to say thank you from all of our listeners. I think everybody knows by now that Jordan Flowers of Cross Country Mortgage gave away, I think close to 100, maybe a little less, tickets to Mitch Unfiltered fans for the stretch run of the Seattle Mariners season. That was incredibly kind of you, and it was great to get some unfiltered listeners who wouldn't ordinarily be at the last homestand to be there with you and Cross Country Mortgage. Mitch, that was so fun to do and partner with you on. And you're texting me like, email these people tickets, do this. Why haven't you emailed these people yet? It was like, it was uh, just chaos. It was a frenzy. It was so fun uh, to be a part of with that. So thank you for everybody for participating in that. And next year, we'll do more and they'll go further. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Jordan Flowers now of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Reach him directly. 425-890-2957. What a great partner. What a great sponsor for years now of Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to be joined again by Fireside Home Solutions owner, John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Great to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours, too. And it's that time of the year for you guys, J-Dub. Stretch run in the NFL. We love it. Bowl games and new fireplaces from Fireside Home Solutions. Yes, and when we look outside, we see that snow already. And so we're ready to help you out. And we have great deals going on right now in our showrooms. And we want to keep you warm and cozy when those snowstorms come. We did our outdoor unit with Fireside. And while the fireplace itself came out beautifully, there are lots of places, as you know, that do lovely setups. But it was the experience that was really impressive. Your team came out to the house, strategized with us. We came to your Bellevue showroom, which is crazy nice. Really, it's the process that sets Fireside apart. Talk about the steps that we go through this winter to get a new fireplace. Well, we want that to be a great buying experience. Like we said, we always are here to get the best brands for you, but our belief is we need to come out and consult. We need to make sure that we measure up your fireplace, make sure that insert or fireplace is the right one for you, but also that make sure that installation is going to work. So when we're out there for installing, you're enjoying that fireplace once we're done. From soup to nuts and garage doors too. How's that arm of your business doing, John? It's doing great. That cold weather is starting to uh, make those garage doors creak or mm -hmm. broken springs, but we have a service 
service department that can help you out. Or if you just need a new garage door, please call us and we'll be right out there and we'll get that replaced for you. Fireside Home Solutions has just been great. John's been great. Title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition for a third consecutive year. And just overall, a terrific partner that makes Mitch Unfiltered possible. Start your fireplace search and end your fireplace search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. I'm an attorney as well as Santa. I maintain my office near the World Trade Center site. After 9-11 happens, uh, all these funds cropped up and instead of making a donation to a fund that we didn't know quite where the money would go, my paralegal and I discussed it and we decided what could we give to, uh, to the families of the first responders that nobody could put their hand in the till. So she said, well, you're fat enough. Why don't you uh, get a Santa suit and be Santa for them? Mitch Unfiltered and our next guest was recently tabbed the hardest working Santa in Queens, New York. You see, he's also 63-year-old civil litigation attorney and nice Jewish boy from Borough Park. Meet Dana Friedman. Hey, Santa, how are you? Hey, Mitch, how are you today? (laughs) I'm good. 20 years on the job. How many appearances this holiday season would you guess? Um, I'm going to say probably close to 90 to 100. Wow. 90 to 100 this year. Wow. It was it was it was a rough season. <laughs> I, I feel like Rodney Dangerfield. How rough was it? It was so rough, I tell you. You know, <laughs> you know it, 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 it was rough. We we started off um pre-Halloween for a uh, an event for the John Thiessen Children's Foundation. And we uh, we ended on Christmas Day uh, being center court for the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And you love every minute of it. I would say I love about 99% of the minutes of it. Every <laughs> once in a while, there's a few... There's a few that I could I could I could leave. Uh, uh. <laughs> and what's more, you're a Bob Rivers Twisted Christmas fan. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not love his version? It's a Santa looks a lot like Elvis. Because honestly, if you're gonna listen to Christmas carols twenty four seven for three months in a row you're gonna lose it. Yeah. So you have to do something to bring the humor in. So tell me, um, uh... Tell me how it all started. Go back 20 years to 9-11 and tell our listeners and our audience exactly how a nice Jewish boy became Santa Claus. Well, my office is facing, my office faces where the World Trade Centers were. And my paralegal, Pat Florian and I were looking out the window. Uh, a lot of signs for different charities and funds had popped up. And we wanted to do something that would give back to the first responders directly, where nobody could put their hand in their pocket and take any money out of the till. And she thought for a moment and said, well, you're fat enough. Why don't you get a Santa suit and give him Santa Claus? And uh, God bless Pat, because not too many people could say that and get away with it. She can. She's a toughie. And... Um, uh, thanks to her, we uh, we went out, got a Santa suit. The next thing you know, I was doing appearances for police precincts and offering out to the firehouses. And that just kind of extrapolated one after the other. We started doing orphanages and hospitals, and it just became a long-winded process. What does a Jewish guy from New York know about Christmas? You're from New York. You have no choice. You know about Christmas. <laughs> uh, my, my family's from England. Everything is called Christmas, even while you're lighting the Hanukkah menorah. (laughs) Uh, So every day for about three weeks, 
You put your law practice aside and you become Santa. Have your coworkers always approved of this annual tradition? Well, first off, it's a lot longer than three weeks, okay. and we don't put the practice aside. You're, you're, you're wrong on that. Okay. Santa is about a three-month deal. So um, my first real official event this year was the Halloween parade in New York where I rode upon one of the Ghostbusters Ecto vehicles, and that was, that was fun. But what happens is I tend to be a night owl. So I will do most of my office work at night or pre-planned things or adjourn certain cases as needed. But the practice still continues in full force during the entire season. What happened that time you got called on the way to a Santa appearance <laughs> to fill in for an attorney? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was called in for a, for a, a, a night court appearance. Uh, I was on the way with some of the elves to go to a charity event. And I, I had my suit. I had no way to change. So I just grabbed a long black trench coat, threw it on over the Santa suit. The elves were all in the back of the court. The judge calls the case, and I was called up. He says, Counselor, take off your coat. And I said, I, I'd rather not. And the judge became a little more insistent. Counselor, please take off your coat. I'd rather not, Your Honor. And then it became, Counselor, take off the coat. And I took off the coat. Obviously, I didn't have the hat on. And... Um, there I am standing in the courtroom in a full Santa suit. And the judge looks at me and says, would you care to explain? I said, not really. <laughs> and I was, I was compelled to explain anyway, and I did. I, I didn't want to use the fact that I was going to a charity event to be uh, a way to manipulate the outcome of the case. Mm-hmm. But we won. I like to prefer to think of it on my merits as opposed to my dress. And uh, I think all all went well that day. So uh, I've also subsequently become Santa for some of the courts for the children's centers. When when people are in family court and the children are separated from the parents for a a short being while the proceedings are going on, I've been Santa for the courts as well. So it, it pans out. You said at one point that Santa has made you a better lawyer. Explain that to me. Easy. Santa has to listen. It's not just going ho, 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 and what would you like, but you have to listen to the children. You listen to the parents. Um, I've had children actually confide in me that they, they're having issues at home and need counseling. Uh, that happened this year in particular with a couple of children. And you have to listen to what's being said to you, and you have to act upon it accordingly. What did you do when you heard those children say they need help at home? I spoke to the parents with the child. Uh, I told them what services I knew were available. I gave them my number and said, if you need contact for further counseling services to call me and I would, I would make the arrangements for them. So for those three months, Dana, when you put that Santa Claus suit on, what happens to Dana Friedman on the inside? What do you become? (laughs) I, I think a lot happier a lot more outgoing, if that's even possible for me. Uh, I think I have a pretty egregious uh, personality to start. Mm-hmm. It's a whole mindset of really doing for other people 24-7. And the reaction from people I read, as you see them on the streets or getting out of the cars, and I'm talking about adults now. We can talk about kids, but I'm talking about adults. When they see you in that suit, it's still a kind of a magical reaction, isn't it? Adults like Santa 
probably even more than children. Mm. Children looking at Santa and seeing toys. Adults are looking at Santa. They're thinking of memories. They're thinking of family. And a lot of times they're thinking of the magic that goes behind the Christmas season. And dare I say that grandmas really like Santa? They go crazy for Santa? (laughs) (laughs) Santa also visits geriatric homes. And the answer is absolutely. And you get paid for these appearances, Dana? Some of the appearances we get paid for, some of them we don't. And the ones that we do get paid for, we take that money, we turn it into toys and supplies and what have you for the other visits. So by the end of the season, we really don't make any money at all. It's all turned around and donated back out to the uh, to the kids. You did something that Aaron Judge didn't do, and we're a sports podcast. Hospitals and charity <laughs> events, Michael Bloomberg, Cindy Lauper, the Rangers, the Nets, and the Knicks. But you turned down the Yankees. Even Aaron Judge didn't turn down the Yankees, Santa. <laughs> and I'm a Yankee fan, I might add. But uh, well, actually, I'm a New York fan. I, I root for all teams from New York. Yeah. But uh, push comes to shove, I was a Yankee fan growing up, and Bobby Mercer was my idol. Sure. Uh, the reason I turned down the Yankees, which is a, a position I wanted for years. It conflicted with something I already had. And my policy is if I book with person number one, uh, even if it's a no money appearance, and then somebody like the Yankees comes along and says, well, we want that spot. If I've confirmed with somebody that I'm going to do it, I stick with what I've said. I don't give up for anybody else. Now, had the Yankees come first, they would have had it, but they were slow on the uptake. Oh, I got to tell you, I almost canceled the interview when I read that a good Jewish Santa like you has never been in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. This is very disappointing to me all the way out here in Seattle. How is it possible that one of the great Santas of Queens has never gotten into that particular event? The the reason I want the Macy's Parade is very simple. As a kid, my parents would take me to the parade. Rain, snow, sleet, hail, it didn't matter. Tsunamis could have come. We went to the parade. And, of course, at the very end of the parade, Santa comes by, and that ushers in the Christmas season, be it Hanukkah or now Kwanzaa or what have you. That's the the green flag that starts the race for the Christmas season Mm -hmm. to me as a kid. So I always wanted that position of, of bringing Christmas to New York and bringing Christmas to the world. That would be the ultimate for me. Macy's has their own hiring practices. From what I understand, they will not hire a real bearded Santa because they want all their Santas to look exactly the same. So they all have what's called a designer beard. If I shaved off my beard, which I do after Christmas, by the way, um, if I shaved off my beard, I wouldn't be able to do all of the other appearances that I that I have. So you shave the beard after Christmas. How long does it take you to start? When do you start growing it again? June 25th. (laughs) If you like, I can look up what time. (laughs) It's six months, six months to the day. Santa, what did kids want this year? Believe it or not, the most requested thing I had was peace, which blew me away. Really? That so many kids, I guess, I'm, I'm not pontificating, the, the kids realize how topsy-turvy the world is, and they don't like it. They want peace. Mm-hmm. There was nothing specific, peace in the Ukraine, peace in, in you know, race issues, or peace. it was peace across the board over and over, and I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. How many kids gave that answer? Lots of criers out there this year? In the morning hours, yes. 
<laughs> I, 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 rare, I rarely have crying children. Uh, but for some reason, there were a few days late December, <laughs> one after the other. Uh-huh. At some point, you know, the, the kids all happy to see Santa, and they're bouncing up and down, and they're so joyful, and they get within four feet, and they lose it. <laughs> and then what? <laughs> I saw crying, too. <laughs> and, see if they, and then they stopped to go, why is he crying? Wait a minute. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. What were the COVID years? Dana, what were the COVID years like for Santa Claus and these appearances? Actually, COVID been very good to me. COVID was very good for Santa because what I was able to do was convince a shopping mall, which is in Bay, Bayside, called the Bay Terrace Shopping Center. I convinced them to give me a storefront. Hmm. What we did was we created Santa's workshop in the storefront. It was just a little piece, like 20 feet wide, uh, 20 feet deep, rather. And the kids could come to the window safely take pictures with Santa through the glass and go on their merry way. Then what we, we started doing was taking toy donations and the toys ended up in the workshop and it, it just, it blossomed and more toys and more people came to the window to take pictures. And then finally we just started getting some publicity, which ended up going around the world. I had people who, who read articles about us in the Philippines mm-hmm. and uh, in Dubai. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we traveled the world that year. That was in, I think, three years ago. And then the second year we opened it up as, as the restrictions became a little freer, we opened it up and kids could come in on a limited basis, you know, separate and apart with the social distancing. And we became known as Santa's socially distant workshop. <laughs> and then this year we had the kids come in all, all told, yeah. uh, this year we had a, a Cub Scout troop come in. I think it was Cub Scout troop 273, if I'm not mistaken. We had 70-something kids come in with toys to donate and take group pictures, and that was a lot of fun. But COVID uh, really gave us a boost, believe it or not. Mm. You've inspired me. I'm a Hanukkah guy, but you've inspired in me. I, I don't know that I'm round enough, and I certainly can't grow a, a white beard, but maybe I should uh, think about changing persona for the three months leading up to Christmas. You, you said in a... Um, in a recent article that I'd be surprised at how many Jewish Santas there are out there. The Brotherhood, Dana. There is. uh, I I was interviewed for a Jewish magazine years ago, as was another Jewish Santa, Stanley Taub. He's in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And Stanley and I have ultimately become friends, although we've never met in person. Uh, We speak every once in a while. And coincidentally, his nephew, Mordechai, <laughs> sings for a, a Jewish a cappella group called 613. Well, the classic story is I go into the Children's Specialized Hospital in New Jersey. There's a group of Orthodox Jews. Guy looks up at me with a heavy Yiddish accent and goes, you're Jewish. <laughs> and, and, and I'm wearing the full Santa regalia. I just looked at him. I said, what about this outfit gave that away? He goes, my uncle's a Jewish Santa. He said, Stanley Taub? He looks at me and goes, how do you know my uncle? <laughs> <laughs> the brotherhood. Now that, uh, that's the true meaning of Jewish geography. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, God bless you, Dana. It's uh, it's really, really nice to catch up with you. It's wonderful what you do for the three months of your life every year. I'm sure you're going to do it for many years to come. The great secret that we can let out here, and I think people have gotten the opinion already, is that Santas get more joy out of it than the actual kids do. We we get, I don't know if it's more, I definitely get a lot out of it. I think that Santas, if they're doing it for the right reasons, 
they get a lot, a lot more than people would actually think. One thing that I'm actually trying to develop right now is a microscopic camera that I can insert in the suit because nobody gets the perspective of the kids that Santa does to see that, that joy and that, that, that smile, the look in their eyes. Other people need to see that. If I said to you when you're 25 years old, a young lawyer or what have you, that this is what your life would be three months a year, you would have said what to me back then? <laughs> Buddy, I'm a sugar. <laughs> And now you probably can't envision your life without it. You'll never stop, will you, Dana? No, I've come to a conclusion that I'm the one who's Meshuggah. <laughs> <laughs> so the law practice will end before the Santa ends, for sure. Um, I think they'll both end when I end. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? They may continue because my son, uh, when he was younger, he went along with me as Little Claus. Little Claus was an elf uh -huh. that Santa trains, and when Santa retires, that uh, dies to us adults. When Santa retires, Little Elf, be uh, Little Claus becomes the next Santa Claus, and we actually turned it into a book, and uh, it's called the story of Little Claus. And if you like, I'll send you one. Yeah. But uh, he may take over the practice, uh, law or Santa or both, if he likes. God bless you, Dana. Happy New Year. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. My pleasure. Happy New Year to you, your family, and everybody who's listening. Hey, look who I found. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning for Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Katie, how's everyone doing over there at, at Evergreen? We're doing very well, Mitch. How are you? Uh, very well. I'll have you know. Everyone knows by now. Mitch went three for three last time. I'm expecting that the streak is going to continue. Do we have a theme today? Yes. Yeah, so theme today, we're doing an economic update. So I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, Evergreen Exchange. Yep. It's a bi-weekly podcast that we put out. It discusses investing, the economy, and other financial planning topics. So for those who are interested in learning more, you can find the Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is also produced by our producer, Steve. So I'm ready for question number one, Katie. Go. Okay. So the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates in 2022 to slow down the economy and fight inflation. Has this year had the quickest increase in rates in 40 years? Is that true or false yeah i think it's true i think i read something about 40 years i'll say true katie that's right we've had the fastest tightening cycle this year the second fastest was in 1995-1996 we find that the fed really tends to overcorrect when they're during these tightening cycles and that has pushed us into recessions historically we're expecting them to increase rates two more times here in 2022 and so that's part of the reason why the markets are down so substantially with stocks and bonds both down about 20 percent and now i'm on a four question streak let's make it five question oh. number two katie all right since 1950, there's been 14 Fed hiking cycles where they increase interest rates. How many of these 14 cycles have ended in a recession? Is it six, nine, 11, or 14? Would be a total guess. I can't believe it's 14, and I'm sure six is way too low. I'll go 11, I'll go C, Katie. That's right, you got that one right. Yes! 
Typically what the Fed is trying to do when they increase interest rates is to have a soft landing to ease the economy, to slow it down, but not slow it down too much. And historically, they have not been very successful in doing so. Oh my God, I'm five for my last five. Shall we quit now or do we go to a question three, Katie? We'll see. This one's a tough one. Okay. Interest rates have increased dramatically this year, which has really shifted the income markets. So in October of 2021, a year ago, a two-year treasury bond was yielding 0.5%. So today, what is that yield? Is it 2.5%, 3.5%, 4%, or 4.5%? Ooh, 3.5%, stab in the dark. So you didn't quite get that one right. It's actually D four and a half percent. I tried to trick you with that one by putting it on the end there. It's been a huge amount of income pickup over the last year from 0.5% to four and a half percent for these bonds. So we're finding a lot more opportunities in the income markets versus what we saw a year ago. So while we think there will be continued volatility in the stock market, we're finding a lot of more opportunities to increase income. For those that are interested in learning more about this, how we're positioning portfolio, I'd recommend listening to our most recent podcast and checking out our website at evergreengk.com. And of course, the Evergreen Exchange every other week from Evergreen Golf Call, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and everything wealth. Unfiltered. Hot Shot Scott, Other Stuff segment, episode 221. That's Hot Shot 4.93, and I'm Mitch 4.74. <laughs> you go first. You've won the toss. You elect to receive. Casino giant Caesars Entertainment is offering what might be the most extravagant guest package for next year's highly anticipated Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix at a whopping $5 million for this package that Caesars what? is offering up. You know that Formula One's coming to Vegas, right? No, I have no idea. <laughs> You don't have your tickets yet for Formula One in I have Vegas? absolutely no idea. <laughs> this, this It's called the Emperor Package. It includes a five-night stay at the Nobu Sky Villa, whatever the hell that is, at Caesars Palace during race week with amenities, access to a personal driver, and Rolls Royce to drive you around. Wow. Two tickets to an Adele concert. The multi-million dollar experience also grants VIP access to the, the whole terrace overlooking the strip. Five million dollars you're going to pay to go watch an F1 race. That's unbelievable that someone's going to pay that. Somebody could pay me to go see an F1 race and I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I have no interest. $5 million no, to stay home? <laughs> no, I would never go to a car race. Never go. I've never I've never been in a car race. I'll never go to a car race. Yeah, that's probably why you're a bad passenger for Uber, because you don't like cars, and the whole idea that's of cars, that whole thing just pisses you off the minute you get in. All right, I was very careful last week and this week to make clear that I'm not complaining about getting trapped and getting stranded by the airlines in Los Angeles because of all the people around us facing a lot bigger challenges, real challenges. Correct. Enter enter Patrick Holland, a 56-year-old oh. father of seven battling congestive heart failure, received a potentially life-altering call from the University of Washington Medical Center on December the 22nd that a heart was becoming available from Fairbanks, Alaska. He was given an eight-hour window to fly to Seattle for the procedure. His flight was canceled. They got him onto another flight. That was canceled or unreal. sent back. And he has lost the ability to have that heart transplant. Let's hope for his sake and everybody's sake that he gets another opportunity. Terrible news. I read that he said he cried more after he missed that flight than he had his entire life. 
he just could not stop sobbing. And I get it. I completely get it. It's just absolutely heartbreaking for him. But I read he's in the Seattle area. So oh. hopefully he doesn't lose his place in line. You don't have to go to the end of the line. I hope that if one does become available in the next few days, he's going to hang out just in case one. I'll does. give the I'll give you the quote that you just were referring to. Quote, I think I cried more that day than I have in my life oh. and exerted every emotion that I've, I've never had to get out of that funk. I immediately said to myself, thank God. There is going to be a family that is saving someone's dad, saving someone's brother, saving someone's uncle. He plans to return to find a temporary house in Seattle so he does not miss the next opportunity of a new heart. So he has a great perspective on life, and my goodness, it puts into a proper place me getting stranded in Los Angeles and having to pay a couple thousand dollars. It sure does. You see that Jeff Ross story? You know the comedian Jeff Ross, right? Sure, sure. Him and a guy named Gabe, stay with me on this. It's kind of long, but it's pretty crazy. This is an inmate named Gabriel Hall. He was awaiting trial. Jeff Ross did a comedy show called Jeff Ross Roast Criminals live at Brazos County Jail. It was pretty funny. I watched it. He was literally given access to the jail or to the prison, whatever, and talking to inmates. And he had a talk with this inmate for 17 minutes. And you know, the comedian, you know, Jeff was like mocking the guy's appearance and joking around. And during the exchange, the, the inmate made a series of jokes, which prosecutors then used during the penalty phase, which they said showed he had a lack of remorse for having committed capital murder. And as a result, the jury voted to put him to death. What? Yeah, they, they, they took the show that Jeff made of those two joking around and used it to show that he doesn't have any remorse. So oh my God. his lawyers say that be, before the special was taped, they sent Terrible. the sheriff. It's crazy. They they sent the sheriff a no contact order. I, I don't want my client talking to anyone. This is serious stuff. And God. clearly that didn't happen. So, my yeah, God. unreal. I know, right? I mean, Jeff Ross is like in the middle of this too. Like, I was just trying to make people laugh. Like, I didn't mean any, you know what I mean? Like, And now no one's ever going to go on a show with Jeff Ross ever again. <laughs> That's right. Especially not a not an inmate. I mean, God, you talk yourself right to the chair. Congratulations to University of Washington Offensive Coordinator Ryan Grubb. He got a raise after apparent interest from Texas A&M to have Grubb come mm. and be the same. He's now going to make $2 million a year through 2025. An offensive coordinator. I remember when offensive coordinators got four or 500,000 and you were like, wow, yeah. now they're getting two. I mean, that's not even high. I'm sure that Alabama's offensive coordinator, Clemson oh, or somebody, it, I'm yeah. sure those guys make three, four $5 million. But Ryan Grubb, the OC for Kalen DeBoer, some think that Kalen DeBoer is the OC, going to make $2 million a year from Jen Cohen over the next couple of years. Not a bad gig if you can if you can get it. No, it's not. I mean, but you know those those guys they live they live in the the film room they live at practice. They, I mean, during the season, I'm sure it's 16 hour days, right? They probably he's probably got a cot in his office, right? I mean, there is a lot of work to, that he does. It's not it's probably not a cush job, but yeah, two million a year two million to a call year. plays. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Where do right, I sign up? No kidding. A Pennsylvania couple. Now, this is a story you like. You you you, you said you don't want news that's going to bum you out, you know, last week. So yeah. a Pennsylvania couple who are both 102 years old, both of them, they celebrated their 80th wedding anniversary. How about that? Robert and Edith May Shom, who met in high school in 1936 and married in 1942, celebrated their anniversary on December 26. Robert says the secret to our long marriage is don't go to bed mad. So there you go. By the way, if you're curious, the Guinness World Record for longest marriage stands at 86 years and 20 days, but 80 wow. years with the same person. 80 It's unbelievable, man. Crazy. Good for them. Still going strong at 102. Can we at least mention Luka Doncic on the show? 
Sure. 60 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists in a game on Tuesday. Some are calling it one of the greatest all-around performances in their history of the NBA. The Mavericks were down nine with 33 seconds to go, and they won the game. Unreal. Teams that have been nine or more down with 33 seconds to go going into that game Mm -hmm. were 0 for their last (laughs) 13,884 games. Wow. The, the, the last 13,000. <laughs> and this guy does it every single night. I don't know if you watch the highlights or you watch this guy. I'm you know, familiar. Yeah, he he's amazing. He doesn't even play with much athleticism. He's not fast. Right. He's not quick. He's just mesmerizingly sluggish. He play, plays to a sluggish pace. But are we sure that this guy, Luka Doncic, is not one of the great, is not going to go down as one of the greatest NBA players in NBA history? I decided to take a look. He's 23 years old. Okay. This is his 23-year-old season. He is currently averaging 34 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. He's he's hitting 51% of his shots, and he's shooting 36% from three. Jeez. He's a career 28-9-8 guy. Career 29, 28-9-8 guy. So I thought, let's take a look at his year 23, his age 23 season. And compare it to LeBron James's age 23 season. Luka, 34 points per game. LeBron in his fifth year when he was 23 years old, 30 points per game. Luka, nine rebounds a game. LeBron in his fifth year, eight rebounds a game. Luka, nine assists a game. LeBron, seven assists a game. Luka, 51% from the field. LeBron, 48% from the field. Luka, 36% from three. LeBron, 31% from three when he was 23 years old. Across the board. Now, LeBron's going to go down as what? The second best player of all time? One of? Yeah? Yeah, right. Top five for sure. Top five. Luka is better than LeBron across the board (laughs) at the same age. Now, I don't know how long Luka's going to play, and we watch him on SportsCenter every night, but my goodness. I mean, this guy is transcending the game. He's literally yeah. transcending the game. And you look at him and he's kind of a schlubby guy. He's just a schlubby like you and me. Looks like that's, me. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the scary part is that he's not relying on a 46-inch vertical, which no. is going to go away at right. some point. Right. He, he can play until he's 50. I studied Larry Bird for like a year. I couldn't figure out why he was so good. I've watched every highlight I think imaginable. And now uh, people might study him too. Like, how could nobody guard him? How could he dominate the NBA when he's not really that athletic. It's incredible. They say about LeBron that he could play tight end or wide receiver in the NFL. That's how great an athlete is. Nobody's going to say that about Luka, okay? (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) He's built like an offensive coordinator. (laughs) He's got that athleticism. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Imagine scrolling through your inbox a couple days before Christmas, casually reading heartwarming holiday wishes, and seeing a message from your medical center notifying you that you have aggressive cancer. Oh. The Askern Medical Practice in Doncaster, UK, has around 8,000 patients, and it's believed that on December 23rd, it accidentally sent a cancer notification to most of their patients, if not all of them. No. The text informed recipients that they had, quote, aggressive lung cancer with metastasis and advised them to fill out a special form for people with terminal diseases. And then they had to, I guess a day later, if they figured it out, uh, check that, you're just fine. (laughs) Sorry, but... Why would that ever go out in a text anyway? Like, why is that even a thing that can happen? Like, I don't get it. Sorry man. for the inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. Remember the story I told you about that? that carry uh, on. Inter- <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Exactly. Just carry on. God. I've got an update to the story that you brought to the show. I think it was you brought to the show. 
The story of the Burger King employee at McCarran Airport who had not missed a day in 27 years, and he was rewarded by Burger King with a goodie bag. That's right, yes. The 54-year-old was given a goodie bag, you said, you told me. It had a movie ticket in it, candy, Starbucks cup, a lanyard, two pens, and two keychains. Yes. Well, that story went viral. He was, he was invited on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And a GoFundMe page went up. Oh, no. Would you like to know <laughs> what he has now in addition to the goodie bag as of the recording of this show? Probably a little better than a Burger King pen. $393,526 for not Jeez missing a day Louise. of work at Burger King at McCarran Airport for the last 27 years. $400,000 hot shot. How's he doing? Right. When he, when, when he filled that application out 20, whatever years ago, that one day 400 grand would be dumped into his checking account just from working there. And just think, and this is the way, this is how twisted I am. Just think if the Burger King representatives in the airport hadn't given him such a shit package, had they given him just a, an okay package or a good package, yeah. He would have been down $400,000. The only reason he got the 400000 great, it's a good thing they gave him a shitty package, right? right that's right. Yeah, if, if they would have given him like five grand as a thank you, oh, how about, he, hey, he never would have complained about it. Hey, yeah. here's, a, here's a trip to Seattle. Here's a trip to L.A. You and your friend yep. go to trip. No one would ever that's found right. out about it, and he would have lost four hundred grand. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Burger King should match it, for God's sake. He should match that four hundred. He's fifty four. Uh, let the guy go live his life. I have five RIPs. I, all right, we talked we last there, week. So you're at RIPs. Let me do my, the rest of my stories before we get to okay. the RIPs. Live golfers are not the only one cashing in on Saudi Arabia's sports washing attempts. You know, sports washing. They're hot shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The sports you know the washing. Story. Yeah, yeah, sports yeah. washing. Yes. Cristiano Ronaldo has signed with Al Nasser of Saudi Arabia to play for them through the year 2025. Now, I believe Cristiano oh, Ronaldo is an older guy now. He's not one of the greats anymore of the game, but he's still one of the great all-time players. I think he's in his upper 30s now. Okay. Would you like to guess what salary they're giving Cristiano Ronaldo over the next three years in Saudi he's Arabia? 37, by the way, and he's got an eight-pack. I'm jealous. Okay. Um... I don't know. I mean, I, the soccer money is so incredible. It's probably like 45, 50 million. 75 million per year. <laughs> oh, man. For a 37-year-old. 75 million per year. What do they give? Mickelson, 200 million. Would they offer Tiger Woods, 900 million, something like that they're yeah. going to give him? $75 million a year to play <sighs> for Saudi Arabia's national team. Congratulations to J.J. Watt on a hell of a career. He's yep. calling it quits. Three-time defensive player of the year. Five-time All-Pro, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, first ballot Hall of Famer. I think we've got to mention Blaine Gabbard on today's podcast, don't we? Yeah, what's the story with that? Well, he was, uh, well, for people who don't know Blaine Gabbard, he was the former first-round draft choice quarterback who was supposed to have a big NFL career, didn't have one. He's kind of been a career backup. Well, he was on jet skis in Tampa Bay (laughs) when a helicopter crashed into the water. And he used his jet ski to reach all four passengers, got them to safety. Quote, I called 9-11. I tried to remain as calm as possible. It all turned positive. They were healthy. They were scared. They were nervous. It was a pretty crappy situation. Turned good in the end. I was just right place, right time, I guess. The credit really goes to the Tampa PD, you guys, the fire department, the sheriff's department, because they were there within like five seconds. It was pretty remarkable. But 
Blaine Gabbert, backup quarterback of the Bucks, saves four lives in a crash landing in the water in Tampa of a helicopter. For his efforts, Burger King gave him a goodie bag. That's kind of <laughs> shitty, too. He's probably a couple of keychains. A couple of keychains. <laughs> That's right. Anyone, That's pretty incredible. Anyone looking for a pair of Yeezys? I don't know. Are they anymore? I don't know. I feel like he ruined his brand, but I'm sure, sure people did. still want them. He sure yeah. did. Well, Adidas had a relationship with Kanye West and yep. Yeezys, and they've got a little problem on their hands. Uh-oh. They've got $530 million worth of Kanye's signature shoes sitting <laughs> oh, no. in warehouses. And they've cut God. ties with them. So anybody who wants a pair of Yeezys, you might be able to get them dirt cheap now as they try to liquidate the product at the Adidas headquarters. Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, yes or no on the story? No? No. no. Okay. R.I.P. pretty bad. R.I.P.s. Yeah. You want to start with a local guy. Yeah, I, I, before we started recording, Dory Monson passed away, local yeah. Seattle area broadcaster for years on Cairo FM and did, did some Seahawk pregame and postgame and has just been around Seattle for a long time. And, you know, he's he and I don't agree very well on politics. We probably don't agree on anything, but the times I've talked to him and, and he's been was nothing but nice to me. You know, I worked in that building for two years and. Yeah. You know, I used to email, when I was at Microsoft, I'd be kind of bored sometimes and I'd email him stories that I'd see for his show. And uh, he was always nice to me. And I, I know he was a, he was a coach of uh, girls basketball. And yes. He was a, yes. Long time you know, girls basketball coach. I didn't yeah. know Dory very well. Do you know how he passed or what happened? I, I don't know. I haven't heard it, it. I don't know if it's out yet, but yeah, that was, Boy. that was, that was a weird one. I mean, 61 years old. Our paths have crossed a couple of times over the years, as you might expect with him hosting a show on one station and me on the other. And uh, again, just like you, very nice, always yep. very cordial, longtime host of the pre halftime and post game shows for the Seahawks. I don't know if he did it recently. There were some controversial comments that he made, but oh, my God, you told me about this as we were starting to record. And I was shocked. I, I did not know that there was any problems and uh, may he rest in peace and our thoughts go out to his family for sure. Yeah, if, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to read one of his tweets that he sent on December 23rd. I think okay. it's important. All right. Thirty three years ago today. My life changed in the most impactful way in the human experience. Our first child was born. I just got home from birthday dinner with my wife, our three daughters, their friends, and a glowing reminder of how blessed life is. That was on December 23rd that he wrote oh that. My God. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, rest in peace to Pele, 82 years old, cancer, the most universally known name in soccer history. The only name I knew growing up. The only yeah. soccer name I knew. I knew nothing Whatever I know now is like 50 times what I know, what I knew when I was a kid. The only <laughs> right. one name I knew of a soccer player was Pele. He passes away at the age of 82. Barbara Walters. Big one. 93 years old. Incredible career that kind of cleared the path for women journalists around the world. Interviewed everyone, some controversial, but got her guests to open up and Unique ways, time after time, she passes away at the age of 93. 60-plus year career. Amazing. Catapulted by her coverage of President John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963. Wow. Amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a hell of a career for her. So, yeah, rest in peace. Anita Pointer. Yes. One of the founders of, you guessed it, the Pointer Sisters. Correct. Formed in the late 60s after she quit her job as a secretary and formed the soon-to-be-famous group with her sisters, Bonnie, June, and Ruth. And they became one of the most popular groups in the 70s with iconic hit after hit. I mean, you you could probably, you'd probably recognize 10 of them. Like, I'm so excited, jump, slow hand, fire, he's so shy, neutron dance. 
Pope Benedict the 16th died at age 95 over the last he week. He did. He yeah. resigned after eight years. Not often that a Pope resigns his post. He was 95 yep. years old. How about the winningest professional golfer in history? You might have thought it was Jack Nicklaus. You might have right. thought it was Tiger Woods. It was neither. Kathy Whitworth, 83 years old, died suddenly. 88 wins, six Jeez. majors, and the first female player to ever win a million dollars in a career. She did so in 1981. 88 wins still to this day. The greatest figure in all of golf. She was 83 years old. How about Joe Mercer Marley? Did you know who he was? No. The grandson of Bob Marley? I would have thought you would have Oh, yeah, him. yeah. I saw that. Bob Marley was like 31. Old? Yeah, yeah. 31 years old. A grandson of Bob. He was a performer in his own right. I'm not sure the cause of death, but he passed away also over the last week. Jeremiah Green, he was the co-founder and drummer for a band called Modest Mouse. He died just days after the band announced he was battling stage four cancer. Modest Mouse was formed in a place called Issaquah, Washington. Really? By, by Isaac Brock and Eric Judy. I went to high school with Isaac, the lead singer. I think wow. Eric might have gone to Issaquah. Uh, yeah, Jeremiah was listed as number 37 on the top 50 best rock drummers by Stylist Magazine. 45 years old. I'm a big Modest Mouse fan. So, yeah, rest in peace to him. The only way that we can put a smile on our face would be through headlines. A Maryland man wins a $40,000 lottery prize after a psychic told him his deceased father wanted him to play the lottery. 40 grand. I want some help with the jackpot, dad. <laughs> 40 grand. Jake Paul. We all love Jake Paul. He posts a video no, of him of him sparring with a phallic sex toy that was suction oh cup to a counter. He was punching it like a speed bag. It's been said many times and you hate to see a dildo on dildo crime. At long last, South Korea ends the ban on imported sex dolls. If you happen to buy one of them, make sure that you don't get caught using it in the carpool lane in your car. Though that could be embarrassing. I'm noticing a theme. <laughs> and finally, a British couple spends the festive holiday season completely naked, and they don't even put on clothes when their relatives come over. You can see the pictures for yourself online, and if you ask me, someone needs to trim the tree. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the awkwardness. Oh, God. Uh, thank you very much. Happy New Year to everybody. The first yes. show of the year 2023. And let me say as a public service, not even a public, this is more of a private announcement. Let me just say to the two or three drivers who gave me a one, <laughs> I'm either going to say screw you or I'm sorry. I don't know what I did. <laughs> I can't imagine what I possibly did to deserve a one, not a four, not yeah. a, th a one. That's right. They're Ooh. calling me essentially the scum of the earth. What what could I yes. have done in their car? Hotshot, please tell me. What could I have done? I mean, what? I don't know. Like I told you, you punch him in the face, you probably get a two. Like, you know, they put up with a lot of shit from people, I'm guessing. A one? I don't know what one has to do to get a one, but I would love to hear from an Uber driver as to what somebody has to do. Episode 221, ladies and gentlemen, in the books.